You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 467. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 3K at the Courtyard Hotel in Providence, Rhode Island. Today's show is recorded on the 8th of April, 2021. episode, an Ethiopian cargo jet lands at the Wong Airport, followed by a sister plane which almost does the same thing. Indonesian investigators find the cockpit voice recordings from a flight which crashed in January. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Trade tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 467 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. And welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia. And joining me today from his studio in... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. A world traveler. Nope. Well, used to be. Uh, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airlines. It's Captain Nick. <laughs> well, hi there, Jeff. It's so nice to be on a show where you don't have to tell fibs to all our listeners. I'm feeling a lot more relaxed this week. I don't know. I kind of enjoyed doing all the fibbing that was kind of fun um but yeah i had a great time on our boy last episode yes i am a bad boy a very bad boy and now let's go for some very bad news Stand by for news. All right. The first item in the news is something that happened at Leesburg Airport in Virginia, and it was um, memorialized on Vass Aviation, a YouTube channel. And I have some of the audio. Let's take a listen. Scavengers 226 is clear to land. Correction, you put touch and go to 35 and wind 020 at 12 gust 16. Scavengers 226 is clear to land for 35 for touch and go. And we put out 7214 with correct taxi back to the ramp. All right, Scavengers 214, taxi to parking on this frequency. Taxi to parking on this frequency, Scavengers 214. Thank you very much. Tower 5 with the 
All right, everybody's talking at the once, so I'm just not going to answer, and you guys can figure it out. These are retired staff interest 226. It wants to clarify for a touch and go for one way 35. Staff interest 226, how do you hear? We hear you loud and clear, sir. Just confirming we're cleared for touch and go, runway 35. I've done it three times. Discovery 226, you're clear touch and go. Clear touch and go, runway 35. My student will be repeated back. Clear to land. Just wanted to confirm. Thank you. Did it back. I confirmed it. you got to pay attention. There's too many airplanes on the frequency for me to talk to you four times. All right, the Sears down here. Who wants a taxi? I'll say you call, sir. 542 Victor Alpha, where are you going? All right, that's really good. Okay, when you decide where you're going to go after you get to runway 35, you let me know. No, you sit right there until you tell me where you want to go. I'm going via Alpha. I want to go to runway 35. You don't understand, so just stay right there, and I'll get back to you. I want to know where you're going to go. That's direction of flight, IFR, VFR, and whether you not have the weather, okay? So just sit there and chill out so you can figure that out. Perfect. Let me tell you, you bring Alpha to call, here, Alpha. Five four two big draft, just stay right there. I don't have time for you right now. I'll get your clearance when I can. Nine at Papa Zulu, did you call? Hey Papa Zulu, you clear land on runway three five, the wind zero one zero at one zero gust one six. Clear land three five, eight Papa Zulu flight. Well I think somebody was having a bad day. <laughs> Was this guy uh, moonlighting from his normal job at JFK? <laughs> it might be. Um, yeah, talking about rude and just inappropriate behavior from an air traffic controller. I mean, he's there to help them. That's not the other way around. And, you know, when he's talking about, like, everybody's talking at all at the same time, unless there's more than one frequency, which there might be, Maybe the scanner audio only captured some of it, but um, yeah, it just, um, and, and the guy calling in just to confirm that he's cleared for the touch and go and not cleared to land, which is what he said to begin with, um, is being very responsible for the, for the pilot, uh, but uh, very irresponsible for chewing them out for, you know, querying whether or not, you know, they have the proper clearance um, yeah I, I love the fact that he was saying there's too many aircraft on this frequency i can't you know speak to you all and blah 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 uh, uh, and the time he took for his rant he had two major rants during that um occupied more airtime than half of the transmissions that he was complaining about so i'm going if you're really busy then just get a grip and deal with it right don't fill airspace fill the radio frequency with your own personal uh, aggravated blast at the pilots. I just, <laughs> you're right, completely unprofessional. That so, poor guy uh, in the Cirrus at the base of the tower, he goes, where you, you know, where do you want, where you want to go? It, it, how about saying like, what is your destination? That that's clear. Yeah. That means, Oh, I'm going to this airport, but where do you want to go? We want to go to runway three, five, whatever. You know, that's a legitimate response to that question. And then he starts chewing them out for it. I don't, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of um, Arhag. Arhag. 
That's what I like to call R-H and A-G on the Opposing Bases <laughs> podcast. This is the way they sound on the radio. They're totally impatient. Oh, well, I, I've, I've never listened to I have, and it's, just, it's I... embarrassing, really, that I can't. Is it? Is it yeah. really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're very professional. <laughs> well, mostly, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, anyway. So no, I I uh, I think that guy needed to you know take five and go and chill for a bit. Yeah, take a chill pill. Maybe maybe take a couple of months off without pay. That's what I would recommend. <laughs> but I'm not. The yeah, it's, it's just that nowadays we all know that that's going to hit the um, hit the YouTubes, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just embarrassing for him and his employers and for the you know the air traffic uh, profession as a whole. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying that there weren't some mistakes being made by the uh, guys in the other end. You know, some of those pilots probably didn't need to um, make those calls or should have had their clearances on request or whatever they needed to do to make this chap happy. But to lose his rag like that is yeah, not good. You know, I could be wrong, but uh, it, I suspect that this may have been a flight school with these call signs. And, you know, if you're a flight school, you're instructors and students and, you know, you got to have a little bit more patience at a place that have flight schools, I would imagine. Um, Chris Murphy asks a great question. Uh, Jeff and Nick, would that warrant a call to the tower soup, the tower supervisor? I think so. I would if I were there that well, day. Well, I've done it in the past. When I've had a problem with uh, a controller, I've got on the phone as I leave the aircraft and called the tower and asked to speak to the supervisor, and we've discussed it. Um, and uh, it's a learning curve. We all learn all the time, and uh, uh, there may be a good reason for it. So it's it's always worth uh, you know, talking about, talking it through, so that no one gets leaves their day's work feeling that there was something hanging over them still. Right. Well, that was a great way to start off the show, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, a grumpy old man. But two other grumpy yeah. old men. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, Phil asked the question, don't pilots make mistakes? But of course we do. Absolutely. No, we don't. Uh, but uh, I think we're usually pretty apologetic if we do that. We don't climb onto a high horse and and start shouting at people. Or most don't. I used no. to occasionally. But <laughs> <laughs> well, thank goodness he, he's not flying anymore, so we don't have to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I think that's probably, yeah, I think everybody agrees that, um, that probably could have been handled a little bit more, um, I don't know, appropriately, kindly, professionally. I like Sam's comment here. Sam says, maybe the pilot should have oh. told the tower to be ready to copy a phone number. <laughs> that's uh, funny. Yeah. It sounds like Philip, uh, was, uh, joking. So. Oh, I'm sure that Philip was. Yes. Yeah. He was being facetious. Oh, that's a good uh, Tantrums in the Tower. Got it. That's I've got good, it written uh, down. Tantrums in the Tower. And Micah suggests grumpy old, grumpy old men. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean, Micah? Um, okay, let's move on because that first news item is kind of a downer. Yeah, it's a downer. It's making me sad. All right. Uh, update. Crash. Swarjaya. <laughs> Still don't know how to pronounce that. The uh, Indonesian airplane that crashed uh, recently, the 737-500 at Jakarta on the 9th of January, 2021, lost height and impacted the Java Sea. You'll remember that the thing that they were missing, uh, kind of a piece, a big piece to this puzzle, 
of why they crashed was the memory module in the cockpit voice recorder. And yay, they found it. Uh, the memory module was found and recovered. Indonesia's transport minister reported and the KNKT confirmed. Hi. <laughs> it says hi. <laughs> what does that mean? I'm sorry. There's just, I'm just reading what, what I have here in uh, Evernote. And after that first sentence, it just says H-I. <laughs> hi. Somebody's <laughs> saying hello to me. <laughs> the uh, memory module. Sounds good. <laughs> what, Liz? Maybe someone in Hawaii. Oh, maybe somebody in Hawaii. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the memory module was found at approximately 20, local, two, 20 hours local time, uh, 8 o'clock <laughs> on Tuesday, <laughs> March 30th, 2021, about 500 meters off the coast of Pulau Laki, Laki Island, Laki, Laki, at a depth of 14 feet, no, 14 meters below 16 centimeters of mud. This suggests the CVR memory module was found about 4,700 meters west-northwest of the last ADSB position of the aircraft. The KNKT estimates it will take between three days and a week to download the CVR data. That's a long time. Following the preparation of the download in a lab, download of the data, the CVR and FDR will be synchronized and a transcript will be made, and this then permits everyone to, or the investigators to analyze the situation in the cockpit. So good news. I'm glad they found that thing. And uh, hopefully we'll be hearing some analysis uh, as part of this investigation soon. I love uh, that very bottom photograph, mm -hmm. which has uh, two quite senior chaps, I think. And they've got a nice little table with a very pretty tablecloth, a very pretty floral tablecloth. Mm -hmm. And um, they're looking at each other. And I think this is the formal handover of the recovered voice recorder. It's in a transparent box full of seawater. And uh, they're sitting there. And it's just so posed. I, I just thought it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yes. Uh, it looks like they're at yeah. a funeral or something. It is exactly what I thought of at the first thing. I think, oh my God, it's a body. No, no, it's the CBR. Yeah. Is, is the guy on the left of the photograph, is, he, is that a microphone that he's holding in his right hand? It might be, actually, yes. He might yeah. be uh, accepting uh, this this final award. Right. Uh, I'd like <laughs> to thank my mother and my father. Maybe he's going to sing one of and, Steph's songs. Uh, <laughs> the producer of this. and. Liz uh, says that maybe he is about to sing one of Steph's new songs on her new album. It's might about be. to come it out. He's got a lovely pink waistcoat on as well. Which yes, be very nice. fetching. Anyway, of course, that has nothing to do with this investigation or this terrible crash. But you know, we're trying to make light of it if we can. <laughs> um, hey, APG, that's where you go for serious news coverage. <laughs> That's exactly right. And we've probably got some in a minute. Maybe. Uh, next item is uh, Pilots Back Global Campaign. Oh, to where's your sound oh, clip there? Oh, very serious. Oh, hang on, hang on. Get that sound clip. Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Control Room is directing me to uh, play something here. Um, okay, let me play this. That's what NODAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage. And that was from the uh, National Transportation Safety Board. <laughs> um, chairman. Um, yes, cockpit crew representatives are backing efforts to overhaul the, uh, the NOTAM system this year. By the way, I think it's actually happening today. I think the date 
is April 8th. Uh, ICAO is uh, getting together, launching this global campaign for NOTAM improvement on, yeah, 8 April, intended to relieve some of the pressure on those having to handle and absorb all the complaint calls, <laughs> the information. Uh, it's not uncommon for a pre-flight briefing package supporting a long-haul international flight to contain more than 100 pages of NOTAM information, says the organization. Findings have shown that 20% of these will be old NOTAMs, exceeding their three-month applicability period. Uh, cockpit representatives are warning the sheer volume of NOTAM information is overwhelming pilots. The campaign is being supported by International Pilot Federation, IFALPA. Uh, I think that's the way you said that. I-F-A-L-P-A, International yeah, Federation of uh, Airline Pilots. I think you should send that sound clip in as the APG official position on it. Yes. Uh, good idea, Liz. Liz thinks that we should send in that sound clip as our official recommendation and um, contribution to this this um Well, I, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, they go on to make big deal of uh, no terms that are out of date, basically. Mm -hmm. And they're saying that uh, no terms that are after 90 days or whatever the period they're supposed to be valid for should be removed. But so many are just sticking in the system. And they're particularly pointing out some countries like uh, African zones, uh, which had the highest proportion of outdated no, book, no terms, with 43% labeled very old mm. uh, in the Western and Central African regions. Um, compared with uh, five or six percent of very old no terms in European North Atlantic region, well, even five or six percent is too much. But they make a big deal of this. But really and honestly, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Old no terms. What we really need are the old no terms to be more appropriate though, to those events that pilots are actually interested in for the safe conduct of their flight. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't need repetitive uh, indications that there are birds on the airfield. There are birds on every damned airfield. What? Uh, you know, there are cranes <laughs> in the vicinity. There, you know, uh, there are lots of things that could be taken as read. And uh, I think many of us think that they are put there almost as a, a, a legal requirement so that the airfield needs, uh, feels that it's... Um, justified now in if someone has a problem saying well it was in the no terms uh you know uh but uh, for us pilots we just want to be able to filter out all the garbage and be left with the ones that actually affect us like that poor canadian crew that uh nearly landed on a taxiway in uh, san francisco uh, that's the one that's the event that um the head of the ntsb was talking about if i'm not right uh, not right yep, yeah you are correct in fact, yeah, he actually he said, mentioned about the what you just said about the birds. He said, you know, birds in the vicinity of the airport. He goes, they're always in the vicinity of the airport. Why even <laughs> state that? It's like every exactly. darn, yeah. um, you know, ATIS uh, broadcast you listen to says, yeah. you know, birds are in the vicinity of the airport. Okay, thanks. You know. And uh, they, they say, you know, 100 pages of uh, no terms. It wasn't unusual, but uh, just bear in mind that the print used on the no term pages is tiny. I mean, it really is tiny. And it's all capitals. Uh, and there's there are no there's no real way for, for proper punctuation and uh, no real way to 
mark out which NOTAMs are important. There's no color coding, for example. There's no classification as to say, well, this is a this is vital, so we'll make this one red. You know, they they have danger areas. Are you know that paragraphs and paragraphs of danger areas that might be active with all their latitude and longitudes, uh, and nobody ever has a chance to plot all those out and see where they are and etc. So you just it, you end up ignoring them. Yes, we need pictures like cartoons or something. Yeah, we do. We actually need maps. <laughs> yeah, we need, you know, we need to be able to have these visually represented yeah. so we can look at it and go, well, that's my route. That's where this is. This nowhere near me. I don't even have to worry about it. And But then again, if they were filtered properly, we would get them in the first place. We need to know when the, air, the runway that we intend to use is closed or there's... You know, part of it's closed. We need to know taxiway closures, you know, the, the things, as you just said, that matter to our flight and the route that we're going to take from the runway to the ramp area and the gate, all that kind of stuff. It's just uh, dinosaurs in the vicinity of the airport, possibly an outdated NOTAM, says Ludger Humpert. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so are you, what are you saying, Liz? Laura's got a good comment there, too. Laura. I just put it up. I, I thought we banned Laura from the uh, chat room. Well, I gave her a, I gave her a, a, I gave her a pass. You let her back in? Oh, gosh. I did. Okay. Well, next time, you know, please confer with me before you do that. Read her comment. It's Okay. Clever. Well, I'll read it. Laura says, well, birds are technically dinosaurs. Well, okay. Yeah. I agree. Or are dinosaurs technically birds? Which way around is that? I don't know. Chicken Didn't or the dinosaurs egg? come yeah. first? Which one? I don't know. Okay, moving on. <laughs> okay. Liz is, Liz is tiring of this. She's telling me to move on. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I hope, just going back to that last one, I hope that that conference that they, I'm sure is over by now, uh, but it was today. I hope that they actually came up with some solutions and that they actually implement these solutions. Uh, one of the one of the loopholes that a lot of people use, they said that there's like a 90 day period where it, some of these older NOTAMs fall off. And, and but what people do is they reissue them and then the 90 day clock starts again. So it's like some of these NOTAMs are there for decades, but because they keep reissuing them within that 90 day period, they stay there. That's ridiculous. OK, yeah, you know how we feel about that. And uh, everybody that I've ever talked to who flies airplanes agrees. You and Mr. Sumwalt. Yes, especially my good friend, Mr. Sumwalt, the NTSB chairman. All right, here we go. Uh, news. Ethiopian cargo Boeing 737 accidentally lands at the wrong airport in Zambia. This is this particular article from Simple Flying. Um which is actually the flight school that I used to learn how to fly. Simple flying, because uh, <laughs> I said, Jeff, that's, that's the one you need people. to go to. <laughs> yep. That's not true. Um, it isn't often a plane leads to or lands at the wrong airport. But on Sunday, April 4th, just a few days ago, Ethiopian Airlines won the daily double. Two Ethiopian Airlines Boeing 737-800s both headed to the same under-construction airport in Africa. Uh, one of the Boeings, a cargo plane, actually landed on the under-construction, not-open-yet airport. The other, a passenger flight, came within 50 feet of doing so, 50 feet in altitude. Uh, 
let's see, according to a report uh, from the blog site One Mile at a Time, the first Ethiopian Airlines Boeing 737-800 was operating a cargo flight. Okay, we covered that. It landed at the wrong airport. We covered that. Uh, Endola is the uh, name of the uh, Zambian town. Um, the uh, aircraft in question was Echo Tango Alpha Yankee Lima. According to the fl flight tracking site, flightradar24.com, that plane operated a flight from Bole International Airport in Addis Ababa, or Addis Ababa to the previously named... Addis Ababa. Okay, could you uh, pronounce the name of the airport in uh, Indola then, um, Nick? Uh, much better Simon uh, Moenza uh, Camp Wipui. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which has recently be, uh, been renamed Indola International. A lot easier. <laughs> Probably because nobody can pronounce the other name. Instead, the <laughs> Boeing 737-800 landed at the yet-to-be-finished Copper Belt International Airport. I like that name. That's easy to say. Copper Belt. Yeah, very American. Yeah, which has recently been renamed Simon, oh boy, Mwansa Kapwipri. <laughs> if you're confused by the two Simon Mwansa Kapwipri airports, then, uh, wait, Kapwipri? then no doubt this didn't help the Ethiopian Airlines pilots who clearly weren't sure. Was that offensive? I'm sorry. If that's offensive, please send an email to I'm offended at airlinepilotguy.com. Um, anyway, so here's the deal. Uh, they're making this new airport. And uh, Liz, can you show the uh, overlay that I yes, put in there? Thanks. Um, so let's look together at this Google maps or google earth uh satellite view it's kind of far far down sorry i didn't make it very it. convenient for you there you go nope, um, it. so um i was anyway, laughing too hard this is from google earth and you can see on the right side um over uh, no the other side um well, let me take the of the there. um of the photo uh kind of right central right uh with a little blue pin uh, that's actually the current um, airport that they've been using for many, many years. And the new airport, which is the one that's very easy to see on the satellite imagery uh, on the upper left-hand corner of this image, um, lots of cleared land, huge, huge area for the runway, much longer. Probably, it almost looks like twice as long, maybe twice as wide. Mm -hmm. Very impressive. In other words, a beautiful um a whole expanse of concrete and um i can definitely see if they're coming in and by the way the direction of their flight is coming in from right to left looking at this photo so you would be looking at the city or the town of uh, andola and you'd see this brand new under construction runway in the distance thinking ah like a bug going for that for that bug light um, you know, that's the, that's the airport I'm going to land on. Well, they got yep. distracted by the number of people in our chat room that they saw there. What? <laughs> <laughs> Up above the airport are the number of people on our chat room. The number of people in our chat room. Up, Up above. On, the, on the screen that you're oh. sharing. Okay. Well, I don't see what you're looking at, Liz. All right. No, okay. I see the, um. Ignore I, it. I see the image, but I don't see anybody in the chat room. Oh, you mean like off to the side? No, up at the top it says live, and then it says fifty-five, and then oh, it says. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, yes, I'm just being there, funny. There, there is a uh, some information about our 
our stream. It's been live now for 56 minutes and 18 seconds. There are 59 people that are currently watching, and six have given it a thumbs up. Just six? Come on, people on Facebook. You know, give us some love. Anyway, of course, we told everybody on Facebook to come over to YouTube, so that's not going to help. Um, anyway, um, getting back to this uh, news item here, uh, I, when I was reading this, I was thinking back to some anecdotal experience I had um, a few years back before Atlanta International opened up the southernmost runway, runway 28, runway 10. And that thing is like a magnet. I mean, it wasn't open yet, and we'd be coming in for approaches, and you'd say, you know, you know the airport in sight? Yeah, we see the airport. And then you'd just like automatically focus on that pristine, beautifully white, newly poured concrete runway and then realize oh that's not it's not the correct runway that runway is not open yet and uh, and that was the same airport <laughs> but uh, anyway what i'm trying to say here is i can see how these people now a lot of people would say well what didn't they use their instrumentation to back up their visual approach well they they should have been i don't know what the uh, i've never flown in this area of the world i don't know what kind of navigational aids they have for the runway at uh, the currently open Andola International Airport, um, if if it was operating at the time, you know, so I, I can't really say that they should have had all that stuff, you know, up and using it as a backup. Uh, and maybe they did, and they just ignored it once they saw the the bug light and they started flying toward it. What do you think, Nick? Uh, yeah, it's not uncommon for uh, airfields in Africa to have quite limited navigation aids, and they're not necessarily co-located with the airfield. Um, but having said that, it's a 737-800, should have pretty sophisticated navigation gear, um, should have, I would have thought, GPS, uh, at least uh, inertials. Um, so, you know, the aircraft should know uh, a bit more accurately. Um, I get the feeling from uh, reading uh, between the lines that this actually might not have been so much a problem for the individual crews, but more a problem for their operations. Because I get the feeling that um, whoever planned their flights might have accidentally sent them to the wrong airfield. Mm. That's when oh, they downloaded awesome. their flight plans or whatever. The fact that both aircraft went for the new uh, airfield. Perhaps they had um, mistaken the fact that it wasn't open yet, uh, uh, but they, they planned for these guys to go there. Uh, I, I don't know, but um, I, I think that might be a might be a possible explanation for why two aircraft from one airline and nobody else uh, seems to have honed in on it. That's a good point. I think maybe uh, Liz is thinking that maybe NOTAMs had something to do with it. That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage. Yeah. We love that clip. So I think you should have said they're just a bunch of toilet paper. Um, yeah, that's that's true. And that would not be very that's comfortable true. to use it as toilet paper. <laughs> um, I've not tried it, though, so I'm just guessing. You don't use toilet paper. Mm. Yeah, I don't use toilet paper. <laughs> I mean, In Ethiopian airlines <laughs> are considered to be actually quite a, a good air, airline mm -hmm. compared with others in the area. Um, so this is a bit, a bit embarrassing for them, I think. 
Yeah. Uh, now, but I think the biggest problem really from was the guy who landed. Um, he didn't just sit there and go, oh dear, right, we need to sort this out. Didn't he just turn around and take off again? I'm not sure if that's what happened or not. There was a video, and I I don't know if I watched the entire thing, but I do, I do know that the uh, the uh, cargo-only 737 is taxiing, and, and you can see in the foreground all these workers out there, like very close by, looking around like, what, uh, what's going what on the? here? Where, where, where did that airplane come from? Why, why is your airplane on? It's not open yet. What's going on? Anyway. That's basically what I was reading through the body language of these people, because I'm good at that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I'm sorry, if you're going to take a picture of this bloke taxiing around, can you hold your camera straight, please? Uh, look at that bent horizon. Isn't that just awful? I mean, well, I'm, I'm sure they haven't built an airfield with a, like a 10-degree tilt. <laughs> okay, the photographer is coming. In. We can remove that overlay, uh, Liz, if you'd like. Oh, yep. Sorry about that. Think, oh, no problem. There we go. Oh. Ah. <laughs> there you are. Yes. Anywho, yeah, they somebody screwed up there, and uh, but fortunately, yes. no harm done to, no injuries or anything like that, except when the pilots came back into the chief pilot's office and the door slammed. Then there were probably some injuries. Okay. <laughs> um, next yes. item. Uh, oh, th this is really sad to me. A French mayor wants to kill kids' aviation dreams to save the environment. Oh, I'm glad you read that properly. I just looked at the first line. To kill kids. Said, French mayor wants to kill kids. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's really sad. That's that's really mean. Um, yeah. Anyway, I'm trying to find my going green sound clip, but I can't seem to find it. Oh, well. Right now, you're hearing it. We're going oh, green. Here we go. We're going green. Love that. Love um, We're going green. <laughs> The mayor of a French city has ignited a nationwide controversy in the aviation community by cutting funding to two local flying clubs and saying kids should be discouraged from pursuing their aviation dreams. Quote, it was my childhood dream to take a plane and go to the other side of the world, said Leonore Moncolday. <laughs> the mayor of, oh, is this Poitiers? P O I T I E R S. Where, Steph? Poitier. Steph, where are you? <laughs> what is it? Poitiers. Poitiers in West Central France. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I think that you do not realize that we must protect children from some dreams. It is sad to say, but aviation should no longer be part of today's children's dreams. Okay. Where is this? There's the green guy? party for you. Oh my gosh. So what a killjoy. <laughs> so uh this gentleman with the last name that starts with an M says uh he represents the Green Party and said hobbies that rely on non-renewable resources must be discouraged. So her council has ended the subsidies it has previously provided motorsports clubs. If the decision catches on with other communities, it could have some serious consequences for initial flight training in France. Most flight training is done through aero clubs and North American style flight schools are relatively rare. The subsidies from local and federal governments are part of funding for sports teams and other weekend warrior activities. And the mayor said it's flying's reliance on fossil fuels that killed its grant chances with her. 
It's not a question of principle. It's a question of fiscal responsibility, she said. We consider that taxpayers' funds must no longer subsidize sports based on consuming non-renewable resources. Now, I'd like to ask her, has she not been like watching the news and you know seeing all this information uh, about the new technologies regarding electric, uh, electrically powered airplanes and that kind of thing? Come on. That's the future. Apparently Everybody not. knows it. And, uh, and I, I just want to be absolutely certain that she's never gone on a junket that involves air travel anywhere in the world. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say that, um, let's see, when she was a ch- her childhood dream was to take a plane and go to the other side of the world. I think it's now many people in the aviation community <laughs> dream that she do that as well and just never come back. Yeah. Uh, well. Anyway, that's what happens when you vote these people in. Yep. Um, no, it would be very sad. And uh, I, I hope that the schools come back and say, well, uh, we will use your money to invest in uh, electric powered aircraft and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, perhaps yeah. gliding. Um, you know, it's, uh, airplanes are not going to use fossil fuels forever. And by eliminating the resources to, you know, help children, which is obviously the future uh, in the aviation world, help children, you know, pursue their dreams and and actually go into this field um, by, you know, restricting or cutting off uh, funding is just um, very short-sighted and shooting yourself in the foot. Although, I don't know, maybe the Green Party wouldn't be shooting themselves in the foot unless it was like maybe a rubber band gum. Or something like that. <laughs> um, probably. Anyway, a pea shooter. A pea shooter. There you go. <sighs> All right. Continuing on. Um, Last one. Yes. Hooray. Yay. Um, the United States FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, issues new Ukraine warning. And this is from International Ops Ops Group 2021, and we'll have a copy of the. Um, Federal Aviation Administration uh, warning um, information note in the show notes so you can all read it. Uh, this is just hot off the press. I, I uh, uh, subscribe to the International Ops Group um, notices. Um, so they put those out every now and then. And this, I think I just got uh, yesterday. The, the uh, FAA has published a note warning of escalating tensions in the east of Ukraine along the border with Russia. Canada has also published an airspace warning advising operators to avoid the UK FV slash Simferopol. And wow, I'm not going to even try this next one because it has mostly uh, consonants and not a lot of vowels in it. Um, in the east of the country of Ukraine due to the risk from heightened military activity and anti-aviation weaponry. There has been a large military buildup in this area recently, along with an increase in ceasefire violations. Essentially, similar conditions to those prior to the shootdown of um, the, uh, why can't I think of the uh, name of the airline, Malaysia uh, Flight 17 in 2014. Uh, Should hostilities escalate, the airspace on both sides of the border could be exposed to potential weapons activity, posing a risk to civil aviation from or civil aircraft from misidentification or misperception. And uh, yeah, so basically they're saying, hey, remember uh, about what, six years ago 
Um, it was a triple seven that was shot down uh, the Malaysian yep. flight. Um, guess what? These the same kind of, they're kind of looking at this, um, area of the world and saying, it looks like it's kind of happening again. So let's be careful. Let's don't route, uh, airplanes over that area. Yeah, it's it's a common routing for from Europe down to uh, the Middle East, uh, the the Gulf nations, etc. Um, uh, so you know, people have to go around it. Um, it. It does take a little more time, but not significantly. Um, so it's definitely not worth the risk. I, I I remember when the Malaysian aircraft was shot down uh, by uh, what I think is generally accepted by most the two have been a Russian uh, service to air missile. Um, they, uh, they, they were just one of a bunch of large airliners that had gone through the same piece of airspace, uh, in, you know, before and after the mm -hmm. event. Um, so, you know, I think it's important that uh, people pay attention to these. Although I noticed at one point that the UK and France both have warnings in place. Germany does not have any published warnings in place at all. So that's a surprise to me. Interesting. Huh. Mm. That is, uh, that's interesting. Well, you know what they say. It's better to arrive late in this lifetime than early in the next. Yes. Good point. Well made. All right. Let's, um, oh, that's it. Again, as I said, the actual information note from the FAA will be in the show notes. You can read it. So if you're out there, if you're a dispatcher for, you know, um, international airline, maybe you should pay attention to this and reroute some of your airplanes so that they don't fly over this area. Because um, we don't want to be talking about this on a future show. No. All right. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show, except the plane tales, of course. Um, getting to know us. This will be short. It will be. <laughs> Sadly, it will be short. That's what she said. That's, yeah, what she said. That's the time of the show where we kind of talk about what we have done between episodes of the show. And uh, as uh, Liz was saying in the background that I only could hear, um, or only I could hear, uh, that it should be a short segment because they're only 50% uh, of the crew. Oh, throw the 50% up. <laughs> I'm going there okay. right now. <laughs> you read my mind. All right. There you go. <laughs> only a 50% guarantee today. 50% of the crew is here. And uh, Yeah, very good, Liz. Yeah. Um, so, Nick, uh, what have you been up to, sir? I guess the last show was uh, a week, exactly a week ago. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, nothing much has happened on a personal note other than uh, the regulations with regard to our lockdown uh, are progressively easing. And uh, in four days' time, I'll be able to have a haircut. Ray! Yay! And, Your hair looks um, nice. There. <laughs> that guy's bloody annoying. <laughs> I'll tell you that for nothing. Um, I never have had long hair, and I tell you, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. But there you go. Um, the military uh, man. Uh, outdoor sports are uh, being uh, permitted, uh, and so um, I'm starting my uh, summer bowling uh, as of the 24th, which is great. 
really looking forward to that. And, of course, that means I won't be able to do any plane tails over the summer because I'll be too busy bowling. So bad luck. Okay. Um, we'll be refreezing. <laughs> so we'll just start repeating. I'll be Like hundreds of these things. So many we don't well, know what to do right. with them all. <laughs> yes, I know. Damn thing. Getting in the way and everything. I know. You're always having to move the things out of the way. Come on. Let's yeah, exactly. Right. Piling up in the background. <laughs> um, so all that's good. And yep. uh, in addition, uh, just for me, uh, I got uh, a lovely email from Sebastian, who uh, runs the uh, Air Crash podcast, uh, the ACPC, the Air Crash podcast. We mentioned him previously. He was a, a startup podcast in Germany, mm -hmm. and he was no competition to us, so we were very happy to promote him <laughs> as much as we could because it was a German-speaking podcast, and I got the chance to be invited on to a little talk show he ran uh, covering one aspect of um his uh, a recent incident or accident he'd, he'd he'd done uh but now i'm not so sure whether we ought to talk about this jeff because he is now uh bringing out an english speaking version of his podcast so now he is going to possibly uh, -oh. uh take some of our listeners what should we should we Tell everyone about it. Well, not? can can we pick the ones that he can take? <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've got some we could send happily. I would like to put Laura uh, at the top Dave. of the list. Yeah. Just kidding, Laura. <laughs> yes, Laura. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, Laura speaks German. But that's uh, no, seriously, um, we're always keen to uh, promote um, new podcasts yeah. because you know the more people that get interested in aviation, the better it is for us all. Um, which I think is absolutely great. So uh, Sebastian and his co-host, Sarah, um, they have started a new English-speaking uh, podcast, as I said, called Air Incidents Podcast, uh, as opposed to Air Crash Podcast, which is their German-speaking one. Um, so it's based on uh, the successful previous show, uh, and um, you can find it already on uh, most podcatchers. Certainly, I found it today on Apple Podcasts. There is only one um, episode out so far, which deals with that tragic collision that occurred um, between uh, two aircraft, a Russian airliner and a uh, cargo aircraft um, over Europe, the uh, Uberlingen mid-air collision, uh, the one where the controller um, allowed two aircraft to come together hmm. at the same altitude, uh, gave one, he, he told one of them to descend at the same time the other aircraft descended because that's what his TCAS said, uh, and sadly they came together. Um, I thought he dealt with the tragedy really well. I mean, it was really clear and well laid out. Uh, and his co-host, Sarah, um, isn't actually, uh, doesn't have any connection really with the world of aviation. Uh, she has her own podcast, so she's uh, a very competent co-host. Um, but uh, she uh, she reads a lot of the descriptions, and then uh, she asks very sensible questions that people who aren't in the industry would ask. Uh, mm -hmm. And from that point of view, she brings that um, insight that it, you know you would get if you were listening to this to a podcast like that, and you weren't an expert. But they're the sort of questions you would want to have answered, and she's very good at doing that. Um, anyway, in the next episode, uh, Sebastian's going to be dealing with what is probably quite a well-known incident, the Air France 447, uh, the A330 uh, that fell foul of a loss of control uh, that 
had occurred after they had uh, loss of airspeed indication of their aircraft. Anyway, he's asked me to come on as a guest. I'm not getting paid enough by uh, APG, so I need the extra cash. So uh, that'll help a little bit So we, to, to uh, be on his podcast. So we, I think we're recording the show on Monday, and uh, they come out on a Friday. Uh, he's now going to alternate um, one German, one, one English one. So you'll get an English show every two weeks. Um, he's on the social meds. Uh, if you go to his website, uh, it's all in German at the moment. So, but that will change. Uh, and on the show speeds, you can find him at Air Incidents Podcast. It's a plural Air Incidents Podcast uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, um, like I say, his website will be uh, accommodate English speakers um, when eventually uh, it gets altered. And apparently Nick is going to be the uh, the new um, co-host over on their show. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no, we, it, 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 I think he just wanted the shout-out. So oh, uh, I okay. get invited on and he gets the shout-out. So anyway, okay. it'll give me something to do next week. Which is nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, I look forward to listening to it. And everybody, oh, yeah, it, it's such, well. actually, uh, I think it'll be a very good show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he puts a lot of effort into it, and it's really good uh, from the uh, visual side. So, uh, it's probably one that's worth uh, looking at in you on YouTube rather than just listening to the podcast because he does a very professional job with his video work. More professional than this. No, 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 but we, we don't talk about air crashes all the time, do we? No, no, no. Yeah, you're brilliant, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Well, this, okay, this he just video, got a raise. Um, I don't know even how to describe it. It's just uh, obviously we plan I mean, to can do you this do for, that? for video only. Oh, can you do that? But no, I, well, I can. I just don't have my... My uh, video mixer with me here in the hotel room. Oh, right, okay. Are you sure? Traveling yes. light. I should. Yes. You don't know. You don't know which button to press. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, as as Nick said, just all all fooling aside, we love to promote other podcasts, and there's so many aviation related podcasts out there, and we're all doing things a little bit differently. And uh, I would probably say most people would agree that the way we're doing it here at the APG is probably the worst. Mm. All right. Um, (laughs) So I I might point out, by the way, that uh, Sarah is a very attractive co-host. Well, I didn't want to, I didn't want to say anything, but she is very uh, pleasing to the eye. Yes. She certainly is. Yes. And if you want to give her my telephone number, feel free. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, please. <laughs> Jeff's taking German lessons all of a sudden. Yeah. I, you, uh, do this. Guten Tag, Sarah. Which I think means you are a attractive woman. But I could be wrong about that. But that's, right. you know, <laughs> high school German. Du bist ein Hoopsch Fraulein. Something like that. Anyway, here we go. Uh, we're going to continue. Anything else, Nick? I mean, do we have time for anything else uh, from Nick, uh, Liz? No, no, that's no, it for no, me. We're over time now. I don't have anything else ever, ever again, ever. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, okay, very good. Um, yeah, it's going to get a little bit more difficult scheduling 
our show, uh, especially because Nick is going to be doing all the other shows, <laughs> but um, no, because of the <laughs> yeah. bowling and, and uh, all the other activities that you're uh, involved with, but uh, we'll do our best. To, getting a uh, haircut. Getting a haircut. That's going to take a lot of time. Uh, that is going to take ages. <laughs> I'm not but, kidding. Yeah, we, we'll do our best to, yeah. you know, and again, you know, if you're, if you're watching, listening to this episode, um, you know, this is not a normal thing when it's just the two of us that we usually have optimally, 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 we optimal, optimally, optimally. Okay. Optimally. Thank you. Optimally. We have four hosts. It's more better when the four of them. It's are. much more better. So when all four of us are here, but Nick and I are going to try to do our best to entertain you and inform you. Yeah, you're trying all right. Yeah, very trying. I'm doing my best already. I don't know about you. Well, at least 50%. That's what I'm shooting for. (laughs) Um, All right. I didn't even put anything down here for anything I'm doing. I'm on a trip right now, uh, left on... Well, first of all, Tuesday. we did the show last Thursday, and then, oh, that was in the midst of Holy Week. That was uh, Holy yeah, Thursday, sing it, sing it, sing it. and then I I sang that evening, and then I sang the next evening for Good Friday, and then the next evening for Holy Saturday, and on Easter, three times on Sunday. Uh, yeah, three three uh, masses on Sunday. So it was a lot of singing going on there, and I enjoyed the heck out of it, and then on. Um, on Monday, took the day off, and then um, left on this trip on Tuesday. First day, I have to say, was very, very difficult. Oof, it was exhausting. A deadhead, yeah, exhausting. A deadhead leg from Atlanta to Raleigh, Durham, and that's it. Um, but how long? And, how long does that take? Uh, it's like about a just under an hour, and wow. actually, the actual flight. That's, that's a Look long day. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was a tough day, but the next day was the I had to get up at 3:15 in the morning because it was like a 4:10 uh pickup time. So that was uh, very early. Uh but anyway. So that was day 2. We ended up in Charleston on uh Wednesday, yesterday. yesterday. And then today we went to Atlanta and up here to Providence, Rhode Island, where I am currently. And then tomorrow Another early morning to Atlanta and then to Dallas, Texas, and back. And looking at some of the weather apps Ooh, yeah. and the uh, modeling, it's not going to be a fun day tomorrow. A lot of red there, all. baby. Yeah, a lot of red and a lot of thunderstorms and all kinds of nasty stuff. So I'm really not looking forward to that. But, you know. Are you, you going to catch a cold? Um, yeah. Wait, do I kind of look? Do I look like I'm yeah, getting sick? Yeah, you're looking a bit peaky. <laughs> Well, now that we've done this live broadcasting, <laughs> now I can't fall, call in sick. I'm just going to uh, have to do well, it. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You blew it for me. Oh, well. Um, yeah. So that's it. Um, Pilots without pants. Oh, thank you so much. I should probably look at this um, note because there actually is something in here that our producer director put in there for me. And I received this email from Anne Marie Bain. And Liz's new puppy, Poppy, just screamed something in the background. Is is Poppy okay? She's fine. I don't know what she's doing. Yeah. 
I don't think Poppy wants me to talk about this email from <laughs> Anne-Marie Bain. Uh, she said, hello, we are producing the Pilots Without Pants calendar for 2022. So the subject line was Pilots Without Pants. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself when I'm looking at this uh, email before I've looked at the actual uh, content that, oh, somebody must be wanting me to pose for their calendar. She's obviously only listened well, to the audio. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. Liz says <laughs> she's she probably only listens to the audio. You know, in other words, hasn't seen what I look like. Yeah. Thanks. That's not very nice. Um, anyway, no, she is not asking any of us. Well, on she the crew. certainly hasn't seen the study of pants. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, oh, for those of you who are not in the U.S. or Canada, uh, pilots without trousers. That might make more sense to you. Um, it's a calendar featuring 13 pilots from Long Island, their airplanes, and no pants. Nowhere to be seen on these photos. The calendar well, uh, is currently... Hmm? They're wearing skirts? Uh, well, um, let me show you like, a little bit like, of uh, the... Oh, I've wait. got a picture of Rick not wearing pants. Um, yes, skirt, yes, we do. Yeah. We do have it's a picture cool. of... Uh, Rick in uh, his favorite outfit, which is a skirt. Um, I don't have that to show you right now, sadly. But let me share some of the photos from, I think, uh, last year's last one, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pilots Without Pants. And let me find the correct window. Here we go. I think you'll enjoy this. All right. Um, here's one. Uh, what does it say? Mile high instruction, <laughs> no experience needed. Yeah. Hey mama, I want to learn how to fly. Oh, here, let me take you to Joe over here. Uh, the, you know, the guy that's just wearing the, uh, old fashioned leather flying helmet and, uh, scarf. And that's all <laughs> in front of this tail dragger. Uh, let's see. I need to a little find super cup. another one. Let me see if this is going to work. Yes. Look at that. For a minute there, I'm thinking, is this is this a guy or a anyway? Um, there's yeah. A, what's the answer to that question? I don't know, but it's somewhat provocative. Uh, um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Let me move to this one. <laughs> I think this guy looks like he'd be a fun time at a party, at yeah. least when he's wearing clothing. <laughs> clothing. Um, he, uh, his airplane has Conquistador, 1928. Del Cielo, Del Cielo. I don't even know what that means. Anyway, uh, obviously a Mexican-themed airplane, and uh, he is uh, has a strategically placed sombrero covering up the uh, the bits and bobs. It would be more impressed if he didn't have to use his hand to hold the sombrero. <laughs> that would be impressive. <laughs> <laughs> If his sombrero was self-supporting. A lot of people would be impressed with that. Uh, let's see. Here's another uh, gentleman on the other side of his uh, tail dragger. Um, as it were. As it were. He is wearing socks, though. He is. Yeah, it's very yes. proper. Uh, another um, uh, helmet slash, uh, uh, what do you call that, scarf? I wish uh, stop photo. talking about helmets. He's, he's holding a Jeff. mic, isn't he? He's got a mic in his hand. <laughs> I, it. Yeah, looks like he has a microphone. I guess he's making a radio call from. This looks like um like a link simulator, doesn't it? 
Uh, but uh, that's know, exactly what it looks like. It's the right color is. scheme and everything. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Um, What's the point of this calendar, Jeff? What is the point of this calendar, Liz asks? And that is a very good, good question. question. Proceeds from the sale of these calendars will benefit a Long Island aviation student from a low-income family who wishes to pursue their dream of becoming a pilot. For more information or to be involved with this project, please contact Anne-Marie Bain. She's the executive producer uh, at uh, 917-744-2782. Or you can email Anne-Marie at A-M-B-A-I-N-T-V. So A-M-B-A-I-N-T-V at gmail.com. We welcome... Alpha Bravo Charlie has a great comment here. All media inquiries. And uh, Alpha Bravo Charlie, the man, our man, um, on location in a Goodyear blimp somewhere on the West Coast, uh, says, I would do this right now, but the blimp just makes things look so small. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's a good yeah, one. You, you can always say it was the cold water, but <laughs> not in a blimp. Yeah. <laughs> Shrinkage. It's Ooh, a thing. Nick, Nick, Nev's got a good one, too, here. All right. Uh, Neville. This is, an in, this is kind of an English comment. Uh, perhaps a better <laughs> name would be Pilots Are Pants. <laughs> Oh, now, what is, I don't good. even understand what that means. What does that mean? What are it pants in England? It's rubbish. Rubbish. Uh, pa- pa- Pilots are rubbish. If you're pants, you're rubbish. Oh, okay. That yeah. would be I a suitable synonym for rubbish. I think a lot of people that know me would, would share that. <laughs> Awful <laughs> feeling. <laughs> anyway, well, let me stop sharing this darn screen. It's probably causing overexposure some <laughs> emotional yeah, distress feeling a bit crazy <laughs> now laura's got a good idea here we do oh. a, you guys do a calendar and oh, it's a new, new patreon, patreon perk. <laughs> nice one laura okay yeah, yeah. Uh, laura a good suggestion. She's, she's suggesting that we should uh, do a an apg calendar uh, for for a a perk so to speak <laughs> a perky calendar <laughs> Oh, so many ways you can go with that. Anyway, um, so let's see this next one for Nick. Okay, you already covered that. All right. Yeah, so that's all I have. Flying and uh, singing and running around without pants. No pants. (laughs) So again, we'll have the information for the Pilots Without Pants calendar, how you can support it uh, in the show notes. All right. That is all I'm going to say about that. And now it's time for the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? Sure thing. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. While Captain Nick leaves his broadcast co-hosting position to take a pee, let me tell you about the Coffee Fund. Coffee Fund is your way to support the show financially. And a couple of different ways to do that. Uh, One is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, uh, where you can make a one-time or recurring contribution slash donation to the show. By the way, I must remind everyone that we are not a nonprofit organization, so you unfortunately cannot 
claim a tax deduction. Uh, well, you can. It's just that you're not allowed to, really. And you might get audited and, and might be thrown in jail. So just a fair warning there. <laughs> um, and uh, since the last episode, we have three gentlemen who have, well, I'm assuming they're gentlemen, uh, who have contributed using the Coffee Fun Classic method. Randy Ackerman, Kevin Williams, and Mazutz Karim. Thank you very much for your generous contributions, gentlemen. And the other way to do it is to become a patron of the show, like the patron of the arts, except that the APG show is not not really art at all. But uh, you can become a patron and pledge a certain amount per episode. And information about that is on the website, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. And now, let's go to feedback. Captain. Incoming message. Did everything come out all right? Uh, yeah, fine. All right, good. So you did a really good segment on the coffee bar for a change. That was very good. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. Feedback, feedback, feedback. You know, really, I should say that feedback is honestly the best part of the show because it's community members getting involved in the show by asking us questions or giving us links to certain things uh, to discuss on the show. So thank you very much for that. Of course, we would much prefer that you just send your cash, but we'll take your feedback as well. Yeah. And and you can stop sending me those links to Dignitas. Okay. I've, <laughs> I've got it now. <laughs> All right. Let's start with uh, Texas Anlashock. Uh, he writes in, he says a random little anecdote. Um, Greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Just thought I'd share an amusing little anecdote. This comes from channel mm, Druckenniffle. Druckenniffle? I have no idea. What would you That's say? Like a, an ailment. We'd have to ask it Dr. Stiff. Or some kind, of, some kind of an antibiotic or something. I don't know. Yes. Um, <laughs> who deals more in naval matters. And uh, we're talking of uh, the, uh, uh, the, like the ship stuff and not your belly button. Uh, but since aviation has been a part of the Navy for over a hundred years now, the subject does come up rather frequently. The video in question is part of his series on the Guadalcanal campaign. Um, and he says it's linked here, key to the time in question 550 and for about 35 seconds after. So let's see. I guess this is one of those things where I do this and we don't have an overlay. Do we have an overlay for this? Liz? No, I don't believe okay. so. Uh, let me find my video file and take a little peek at this uh, YouTube video. Hopefully nobody will get upset with us for doing this. And uh, here we go. Unless it's the Wildcat. Is it the Wildcat? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, the attack also afforded Helena to a front seat view of literal air-to-air -air melee combat as one Wildcat pilot of the Cactus Air Force, who was swooping in to help break up the attack, found himself out of machine gun ammo. Instead, he dropped his landing gear, positioned himself above the nearest bomber, and began beating it to death in mid-air using his landing gear as clubs. After a bit of evasive action that the fighter easily kept up with, the repeated slamming broke something important and the bomber spiraled down into the sea. <laughs> it <laughs> broke something important. <laughs> the bomber wow. went spiraling down to the sea. The, the wildcat, a, 
uh, World War II, uh, World War Two fighter, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was uh, in the doesn't look like really super beefy landing gear on that thing, but apparently it must be pretty beefy because they land the thing on on ships. Uh, it yeah. went up there, <laughs> ran out of ammunition, as he just said in this uh, documentary, and actually like bounced the landing gear, pounded it, the bomber from above with <laughs> the landing gear, and. Uh, knocked something that was important to keep the uh, bomber flying and it crashed. <laughs> I thought, what? That's, that's nuts. That's crazy. But, uh, I know. I've seen remarkable. I've, I've heard of uh, mid-air people, you know, flying, deliberately flying into bombers uh, <laughs> to take them out. In fact, I did a story on one once, but uh, yeah. this bloke seemed to have got the perfect technique. <laughs> yeah, because those that actually flew into bombers usually were kind of committing suicide, weren't they? When they did well, so. more or less, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, the, the the fighters managed to get rid of quite a few V two flying bombs, right? But they weren't taking evasive action. Uh, the bomber pilots presumably were trying to get out of the way. <laughs> well, you know that uh, I have not watched the entire video yet, but uh, we do have a link to it. It's the uh, Guadalcanal campaign, the big night. Mm, I can't read the rest of this. <laughs> Anyway, the link to it is in the show notes. And uh, again, Texas and Lashok says, I started following him, uh, the person that does this channel, um, over a year ago, partially because his stuff is pretty interesting and partially because of that dry British wit. Go on YouTube and look up the second Pacific Squadron Voyage, Voyage of the Damned and see if you can't get through it without chuckling at least once. Anyway. Well, I must admit, I, I, I actually stuck with the uh, YouTube video once I started uh, and watched it right through, uh, and it covered the the naval action um, very well indeed. And uh, he he's right. He, he discusses it with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek at times, but uh, really fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Good. Well, I'll have to uh, watch it as well. So thank you, Texas, Mr. Anlashock. Signing off, he says. Uh, we always appreciate feedback from you. Um, moving on to the next one, Muhammad. Now, is Muhammad still with us in the uh, He might have gone he to bed. Two yeah, minutes ago, so I think he is. Okay. He well, was, but... if you are, make yourself uh, known. known to everyone in the uh, live audience. And meanwhile, I'm going to read your feedback. He says, dear APG crew, hello, and how are you? Well, we've been better. Uh, I listened to episode 463. I'm surprised when you hosted Mr. Max Trescott. I'm also listening to Aviation News Podcast, mostly at mornings when I go to the airport. I'm very glad how aviation media community... Oh, he's here. Uh, okay, good. He, he has made himself present. He's raising his hand. There he is. I'm very glad how aviation media community contacts and cooperates between each other. Me too. I think it's a it's a it's an amazing world. I mean, aviation is an amazing world, but this aviation podcasting community is even more special. I think, mainly because we're involved with it. <laughs> um, yes, and modest too. And yes, we're very modest people. <laughs> um, the funny part when Captain Nick mentioned me as an Iranian person, he has the right for this confusion. Because of the uh, similarities between the names, despite the language differences and culture. I'm working to get level three assessment on ground position in ORBI. I have no idea what that means. 
but unfortunately, there's no traffic that fit the requirements of level three. Beside that, unfortunately, two of the examiners got positive COVID-19, and that's the main reason for being late for my ground certification. Well, we have breaking news um, yes. earlier, I think, before we actually started the show. Yeah, I should probably find the breaking news um, thing. Uh, never mind. It's going to take too long for me to do that. Yeah, in post. Um, yeah, I'll put that in post. The uh, breaking news is that Muhammad informed everybody before we started recording today's show that he has passed the ground position assessment uh, with flying colors. Yeah. So, yay. Listen to the applause. So, level three. Well done. Well done, yeah. Muhammad. I gather he had to deal with a difficult scenario of a VIP aircraft with a medical emergency uh, and dispatch the appropriate uh, ground vehicles and have them guided to the aircraft. So uh, that all obviously went well. So good job. Oh, uh, ORBI is the code for Baghdad International Airport. Oh, I did not know that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so uh, it was a successful um, um Thing that he did with the uh, emergency vehicles and the ground situation, only um, only one of the three crashed. So that's uh, pretty. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. That's what level three means. That's what level yeah, three. But means. that wasn't that wasn't Miami's fault. That was the pilot. The stupid pilots. That was yeah. It was the pilot's fault. It's always the pilot's fault. All right. Uh, Muhammad continues, keep your great work and efforts. Thank you for making three hours of my day bright and happy. I wish you all well. And this is, again, Muhammad from Iraq. So thank you, Now, Muhammad. just uh, I have to be very careful in the future because we had mm -hmm. a listener from Iran tonight. Lisa. And I don't like getting uh, people's home countries muddled up. So uh, that's great. Uh, Unless nice you happen to be American. Then he doesn't care. Yeah, yes, true. Yes. Uh, all those people in Arkansas, I mean, don't, don't worry. <laughs> I don't, don't care about you. Silly sounding place, Arkansas. Oh, you silly Americans. Okay. Moving on here. Uh, next one here is from Steve. He says for Jeff and crew regarding DB Cooper. Oh, hi, Captain Jeff and crew. Newbie to the podcast since about when the pandemic began and am really enjoying listening and appreciating all your knowledgeable, fun, and otherwise stellar personalities. Woohoo! Oh. Like this guy. <laughs> yeah. Shall I read that again? No. Yeah. Um, no, just kidding. Recently became a Patreon uh, patron in the Patreon uh, cheap seats, the back row of the plane next to the aft lavatory. <laughs> hey, that you know, if everybody became a one dollar per episode patron, we'd be just rolling in the dough. Let me tell you. Yeah, we'd um, like have fifty dollars. Yeah, oh, yeah, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Let's don't talk about our download numbers, uh, Nick. It's kind oh, of embarrassing. Okay. Well, it's there at the top. It says 51. No, it's 50 yeah. again. <laughs> uh, in any event, I've heard you guys and gals mention the D.B. Cooper event mystery a couple of times. And I have a – my uh, Lagunitas <laughs> IPA is wanting to say something about this too. Sorry. <laughs> Let me oh, – okay. In any event – I heard you guys, gals, mention the D.B. Cooper event mystery a couple of times, and I have a peripherally related story. I think it was during the early 80s when Piedmont Airlines began a daily nonstop flight from Denver to Washington, uh, D.C. National, 
to which I was traveling on business once or twice a month at the, at the time. By the way, they had fantastic real food with real silverware and even real napkins and real glassware in those days and real coach class for real. <laughs> love it. Uh, I love that sentence. Thank you, uh, Steve. Um, one of their 727s, a real airplane. That's I added that one. It was apparently the exact plane that DB jumped out of. I guess Piedmont had purchased it from Northwest Airlines. And according to the flight attendants, one day, uh, a.k.a. stewardesses in that long past geologic era, I actually found myself flying in it. Can't remember exactly, but I believe by then the rear steps on it and all 727s have been permanently duct taped, nailed, welded shut. So I was not tempted to rob the purser's liquor cash and jump out. And I'll see, I had left my parachute and umbrella at home that day anyway. I've gotten a lot of frequent storytelling mileage out of the of, of that plane tale over the decades, likely too much. Uh, and I was going to say, I, I feel a bit sorry for your friends. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't let you folks be deprived. It's pretty eerie and crazy to think about being on the same aircraft that DB launched from. Cheers and be well. Happy flying and podcasting. Your new and devoted fan friend, Steve Clark in Boulder, Colorado. And thank you, Steve, for, for becoming a patron. Uh, we do really Absolutely. appreciate Absolutely. Oh, if I realized you're a patron, I wouldn't have insulted you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Jeff, no. do you want to say goodbye to Laura? Just uh, now, she, she just made a, a comment here, and I'm going to kick her out. the wrong pod, probably. Oh, um, yeah. I think it's time for us to completely, uh, permanently boot Laura. Ban Laura, yeah. Ban mm -hmm. Laura from She's the chat room. <laughs> I, she knows. She does this just to irritate me. She says, I think this guy must have emailed the wrong pod. Mm. Mm. Do not like that term. Grr. Grr. Thanks for distracting him, Laura. Yeah. Um, by the way, um, Steve, uh, they did not duct tape slash permanently nail weld shut the door. What they did was they came up with a device that is called the, well, not officially, but unofficially, everybody called it the DB Cooper vein. And it was a... Um, a device back there between the seam of the air stair door and the fuselage. And when the airspeed got to a certain point, I don't know what, how fast the, the airstream had to be going past it for it to be deflected. And then it would move over kind of pivot and uh, cover up the area where the door would try to or would would come down and so it would keep the door locked shut and then once the airspeed reached a slow enough speed then that vein would it was a spring-loaded thing where it would go back into position so you could actually lower the air stair door because uh unlike many airplanes that have air stairs the 727 air stairs were actually a structural component of the airplane and in many cases uh, if not all it was required uh, for loading and unloading the airplane because of the CG on the ground. And so you wanted to have the uh, air stairs out. And so it was actually, as I said, a, not just something that just hangs there, um, but actually was supporting the uh, back end of the airplane. Uh, so they couldn't just weld the thing shut. It was a structural component. So, yeah, that's a that's pretty uh, cool story. 
uh, actually being on the same airplane that uh, Mr. Cooper jumped from. And I'm glad you weren't tempted to raid the uh, rob the uh, li the purser's liquor money. Probably wouldn't be that much, actually, would it? All right. Um, this one from CFI Mike. Um, he said, uh, I've been a listener since I was a private pilot in uh, 2014, and I'm proud to announce. Wait a minute. He's been a listener since he was a private pilot back in 2014. Wow. That's a long time ago. Uh, and I'm proud Seriously? to announce wow. that I just got my ATP. Well, hey. Awesome. All right. Uh, it's been a great night for achievement. That's awesome. Um, I'm also a flight instructor and have had the privilege to mentor many, mentor many aspiring pilots. I'd like to offer some additional feedback for AJ uh, back in uh, episode 463, the 17-year-old male presenting with active apprentice electrician and an acute onset of the desire to fly. My first piece of advice is to be aware of a common side effect, APG syndrome. Aside from clinical trials of goarandacillin, there is no cure. Yeah, that is good advice. Beware. <laughs> yeah, but um, I gather it's now being offered free. So. The goarandacillin? Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have been affected by the pand pandemic and cannot afford uh, goarandacillin, contact APG Pharmaceuticals, and then they may be able to help mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, watching a lot of drug ads. <laughs> yeah. My second piece of advice is to run away and never listen again. No, that's not what he's saying here. My second piece of advice is to consider an alternative to the fast track pilot program. Since his timeline is five years away, AJ can obtain his private pilot certificate this year and join a flying club. Uh, then he can slowly obtain his ratings and flight experience over the next few years. A flying club is a very cost-effective alternative to the for-profit flight schools. The drawback is that it often takes longer to get ratings and experience. He should do some research to find a flight instructor willing to train him for his advanced ratings at a club aircraft. The private uh, can be accomplished at a club or school. Once certified as a private pilot, the whole world of aviation is open to explore. In other words, you don't have to wait until you're a journeyman electrician to start flying. For many of us, it started as a weekend activity and then turned into a career. Anyway, hope this feedback helps someone on their journey. Fly safe, fly smooth, CFI Mike. And he said, P.S. I'm writing this from the passenger seat of a United 737 flying home after repositioning a King Air for my company. The plane is full and the airport was busy. Things are looking better and better each day for the industry. And again, that's CFI Mike. And of course, we have to say, that's here in the United States. And I, that's something I was going to mention. I, I didn't during the uh, getting to know us segment. I swear that everything looks like it did pre-pandemic now. Our airplanes are getting very, very full. Um, Acme, um, this is the last month that Acme is going to be blocking off the center rows uh, for, um, you know, social distancing. And... Um, the uh, the airports are just jam-packed with people. The uh, parking lots, I'm seeing signs as I'm driving to the employee parking lot that say, North Lot Full. I mean, the parking lots at the airport are full. 
and no place to park. I'm thinking, wow, things are really, really recovering. Now, this is the spring break time of year here in the U.S., and there's probably a lot of pent-up demand or desire to go out there and fly, um, and so that may have something to do with it. And I understand also that at Acme, we don't have all of our flight schedule back to 100% uh, of what it was uh, pre-pandemic. But what I'm trying to say is, just like CFI Mike is mentioning here, that things are really, really recovering quickly here uh, in the United States. And we're hoping, knock on wood, that uh, we won't get you know, a, a huge setback with some of these um, Variants and whatever you want to call them, uh, mutations of the of the virus. Well, you're doing a real good job with uh, the vaccination program, and it really has uh, taken off, if you don't mind the pun. Um, and uh, you know, let, more, more power to your elbow because uh, that has been a fantastic achievement. I began to wonder at the beginning whether anything would happen, but now it's looking brilliant, and that's obviously going to help enormously. Uh, in Europe, things are, are still moving. Um, but as we explained last week, uh, you know, each individual country uh, has its own responsibility for borders. So, you know, there are a lot of countries where uh, you still can't fly. They're still talking about COVID passports here before you can go to perhaps go to some countries. Um, that's a contentious um, requirement, perhaps. Uh, so that's not been... Uh, organized yet but um uh, in europe the, the third wave in some countries is really hitting hard so uh you know things are going to be very patchy here and we heard from captain nige was it last week or the week before talking week before, yeah. about um hong kong mm -hmm. and the situation out there is still absolutely dismal so uh, I think it's going to be a patchy recovery, but more patty or elbow that you, things are getting going well there. So that's brilliant. What am I supposed to do with my elbow? Give it power. More patty or elbow. Okay. Never heard of that saying. More patty or elbow. I learn something new every show. <laughs> every day is a school day. Yes, every day is a school day for sure. All right. CFI Mike, again, thanks. And, and uh, so. It's very heartwarming to hear from people like you who have been listening to the show for many, many years. And somehow, even by listening and having the APG syndrome, they still pursued their career in aviation, which is really kind of a miracle. Uh, we didn't dissuade you uh, from from this world of aviation. So sounds like you're a, a great success. So uh, we wish you great success, further success in the future. Yeah, I love that you managed to write that from the passenger seat of a 737. That's great news. Oh, Liz is mentioning to me that Steve Horn is in the chat room. Yeah, we haven't seen Steve in quite some time. Yeah, where's that? How I got here. Oh, hi, Steve. Yeah, good point, Liz. H-I-G-H. Yeah, H-I-G-H, how I got here, Steve. Um, puts together a very well produced um, with some jazz music, with, which is with great, great jazz oh. music. We we miss that. Brilliant. Yeah, um, I haven't so. had one for a while. I think yeah. he's been a bit busy or perhaps short of victims. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I doubt that. I think that. Uh, let's see. Our our producer director is uh, saying you get you need to get on it, man. You need to yeah. do some more of those and send them in. 
They were just awesome. Yeah, we miss it. Oh, always loved them. Absolutely loved them. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's move on. Speaking of people in our great APG community. And she's in the chat and room. And she is in the chat room. Woohoo. Um, she's a star. Jen Niffer sent, actually, I'm sorry, she didn't send no, this. No, Larry She's sent very it. modest. Larry, the geezer, right, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, sent us some feedback and he said, Jeff, this needs to be shared with the community. That's it, Larry. Basically, he's demanding that we share this with the community. And I agree. And we are Larry. obeying. We are and obeying. And I, I am obeying his command. And uh, this is um, something from APG community member and star Jen Niffer. She does a blog, and it's uh, entitled Tales from the Terminal. And let me share this here so we can all see what I'm reading. And you see that okay there on the yep, uh, stream good. yard? Okay. That's all good. There's uh, her website, Tales from the Terminal, Adventures at the Airport, and Other Random Musings. And this is not the first time we've mentioned her great blog. But this one is especially good. Uh, this is uh, dated March 27th, 2021. A New Perspective. I interrupt your regularly scheduled blog post. Okay, semi-regularly. But I do have a new post in the works, I swear. To bring you breaking news. Dun, 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 dun. And enter uh, or insert uh, sound effect. As many of you know, the view from my desk leaves a lot to be desired. When I look up, I see a wall. And I can look over into the copy room where the photocopier and supply cabinet are. Except for the occasional sound of airplanes taxiing up to nearby gates, you'd never know I worked at an airport. I could be sitting in any office anywhere. And there's a nice little photo of her, what her view from her desk, at least that used to be the view from her desk. Uh, I've tried not to complain too much. After all, a desk with a wall view at an airport beats a desk with a wall view anywhere else. However, there's been an open desk by the windows for over four years now. It looks out past one of the jet bridges to the south airfield beyond. It is brighter than my current cube, has more desk space than my cube, and I've wanted to move into it so badly. I started my quest by dropping subtle hints. Hmm, that desk over there has been open a long time now. When that didn't work, I became a little more obvious. Sure, I'll take on that additional task. What are the chances I can move to that desk? Eventually, I resorted to a straight-up stating my desire on my annual review. Question, where do you see yourself in five years? Me? Sitting at a desk by the window. <laughs> it has become something of a joke. Oh, we can't give Jennifer a window desk. She'd never get anything done. I've tried to argue that I'd actually get more done because I wouldn't have to get up and run to the window every time something interesting taxis by. Sadly, I got nowhere. I hadn't given up all hope, but I was close. In the meantime, Several rounds of reorganization have, re have occurred. The uh, department that shared part of our space moved upstairs. We downsized. More and more offices and desks went unused. Then, in a recent meeting, my new boss announced that since there are so many open offices, they decided to allow people to move into them. She went on to say that, unfortunately, there aren't quite enough offices for everyone. Would I be willing to take a desk by the windows instead? Me? Squee! Is that 
the way you would say that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Her. Are you okay? Me. Dancing. (laughs) She's dancing. Uh, Her. Looks confused. Okay. Once I calm down enough to be coherent. Sorry, Jen. I'm not probably doing this justice. Um, Once I calm down enough to be coherent, I assure my boss that I have zero desire to have an office most of which don't have windows, and that I'm not only willing to take a desk by the windows, but that's that it's pretty much the only work-related thing I've wanted for the past six years. Like, she hadn't been listening, apparently, her boss. Uh, and so, after years of patiently, or maybe not so patiently waiting, I have a desk by the windows. Yes, my view is somewhat obscured by the jet bridge and even more obscured when a plane's there, but I don't care. This is the beginning of a whole new era. I'm not saying I'm going to post a million pics of what I see out my window, but then again, I might. (laughs) What a great post. Thank you, Jen, for that. And Larry, thank you for ensuring that we promote Jen's post and her I love it. I think Jen should set up a 24-hour webcam at her window so we can watch with her what goes past her window now. That is a good idea. You listening, Jen? <laughs> anyway, well done, Jen. You've been amazingly patient. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah, she has. All and right. It's so nice that the first thing to block your view is an A320. <sighs> Go Airbus. Yeah, so nice. All right. They're coming to take you away. Ha <laughs> ha. Uh, the uh, the live audience is uh, giving all kinds of uh, approval to uh, Jen for her new position near the windows. All right. Uh, Matthias writes, I'm a quiet follower since about a year. I've been stood down from my A320 job in Vietnam and living in Sydney, Australia at the moment, waiting the pandemic out. My extra time during COVID made me browse through the podcast universe, and I kind of stumbled across you, stumbled, but didn't fall. Now, whenever Rick starts explaining aircraft systems, I get the best sleep. <laughs> That's good to hear. I'm glad other, other people are making people fall asleep and not just me and my voice. Okay, he continues. I was driving to the northern beaches the other day, and I found your APG fan number one. Oh. Look at that. There's a uh, overlay that Liz is putting up on the video podcast, and we'll have this in the show notes as well. Um, it's a picture of the back end of a car, Mercedes. <laughs> a Mercedes uh, SUV, nice. and the license plate or tag or whatever you want to call it says APG001. I'm sure APG stands for something else. But anyway, he says, I would have loved to have had a chat with the driver to find out if he actually is a fan. Uh, but that would have been carjacking. Not a good idea these days. <laughs> well, it's not a good idea any day, actually. <laughs> My favorite part of the show is, of course, the old pilot's plane tales. Amazing hey. work from Nick. And I don't fall asleep. Did you, you have that stuff? in here, Nick? I don't remember that <laughs> yeah. in the original email. <laughs> uh, great work overall, and I'm happy to be part of this awesome community that keeps the spirits up. Cheers from Sydney, Matthias Canis. I'm looking at that number plate. You know, it kind of reminds me of James Bond's Aston Martin DB5. 
Yeah. It kind of looks like it ought to rotate. Mm. Oh, yeah. So I'm just wondering what he would have on the other faces of his number plate. OB001. Oh, uh, oh, no. Just, just thought. <laughs> I'm not even going to say that, Liz. <laughs> Mentioned oh. them enough on the show. Um, yeah. Enough. Interesting. Um, as we said, uh, we'll have this in the uh, show notes so you can take a look at that photo. Um, and, um, Matthias, we're sorry to hear about your present situation with the uh, lack of flying and waiting this whole thing to uh, pan out. And, you know, I'm sure that it will at some point. And I just hope that you continue to be patient and hopefully you'll be back in flying airplanes again soon. Yeah, I bet you're missing it, mate. I really feel for you. So uh, good luck. And I hope they're recruiting before long. Australia and New Zealand are starting um, flights between the two countries again, uh, and um, which is great. And uh, Australia has not been hit nearly as badly as many other countries. So, uh, um, you know, I hope things start to turn around soon. Liz is saying that she thinks that Vietnam is doing a pretty good job of it as well. So, yeah, things uh, may look up uh, soon. Fingers crossed they find a slot for you to get you back. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, continue on with some feedback from Enrique. Uh, he says, my name is Enrique Caniero. I'm from Brazil, still living here, and I'd like to add a follow-up on last week Morillo's feedback about the minimum hours requirements here in Brazil. The minimum required to become a commercial pilot here in Brazil is 150 hours total done in a flight school. The minimum requirement to become a private pilot is 40 hours, so you'd have to fly 110 hours in a flight school. Or you can fly it by your own, but that minimum requirement then goes to 200 hours. Then you have a check ride on a designated, um, what is it, PE something examiner, designated pilot examiner maybe, uh, either on a flight school or privately. About the airline's requirements, it's true. David Nealman's Azul used to hire pilots right after their commercial check rides, but has been gone for a long time. Currently, they're asking for a 250-hour minimum, along uh, other requirements, uh, IKO English certificates, giving preference for people with college degrees, written ATP approved with ANAC, which is their equivalent of the FAA. Unlike LATAM Airlines, former TAM Brazil, they require a minimum of 500 hours and a college degree, for example. Also, the recently started, oh boy, Nick, can you pronounce that one? Etape Mirim? I don't know. I-T-A-P-E-M-I-R-I-M. The yellow and black new Airbus that we have down here. Oh, the yellow and black Airbus we have here in the U.S. is Spirit Airlines. <laughs> I wonder if they're related. Anyway, um, they uh, have started asking for 200 hours. For captains hire, they require their ATP checked, so they need to have the minimum of 1,500 hours to have it. Anyway, just wanted to give you guys and the audience some more information about this. Thanks, Enrique. Thank you, Enrique, for sending in the follow-up to uh, Marilos. John Jester has a comment here. John Jester has a comment in the uh, 
chat room. 250 hours scares me. I could barely get a CFI job with that kind of time. Yeah, that is very, very low experience for sure. What was it before uh, the change of regulations after the Coogan, Coogan accident? Colgan. Um, yeah, Colgan accident. Well, uh, you just had to have a commercial pilot certificate to be hired by a part 121 carrier and then individual airlines would have perhaps and most did higher require minimum requirements but that was not something that was um under the regulations uh only um the only requirement was that you have an airline transport pilot certificate for checking out as a captain uh, and holding that position and yeah. uh, and that was I so think th it was this is probably hours. not far off what it used to be before that no. that accident. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's very similar to, and and again, as I said, um, you could. There were some outfits here in the U.S. where you, you know before the whole reform of the uh, pilot experience levels that you could get in the right seat of a um, Part One Twenty One outfit with just the minimum requirements of a commercial pilot certificate. So. Yeah. Well, John's that's still saying, the case, of course, in, in Europe. Pardon me? Oh, that's still the case, of course, in, in Europe. If you okay. do a, a multi-career license, then yeah. you know you end up with very little actual flying experience. Right. Kind and of you have to learn training, on the right? job. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, John says, Colgan changed it from commercial, which was 250 hours. Almost no one could get hired with that until right before they changed to 1,500 hours. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean... Technically speaking, the regulations were pretty low. You know, the requirement was pretty low, but in pra practical, you know, experience Reality. or application, the um, the hour requirement was much higher. So, so Jeff, shoot for the plane tail around five o'clock. Okay, thanks, Liz. I'll do that. Um, Andy, by the way, um, I'm just going to throw this in now because I'm thinking of. My the my future in the next couple of days I'll be editing this. Um, the uh, voice that you're hearing in the audio only podcast is our producer director in the control room in Toronto, Ontario, California. Uh, Liz Piper, California. And, am I? Oh, did I say California? Canada, CA, <laughs> California, Canada. Same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not, um, and. Uh, right now when we're recording the show live on the video, I'm the only one that can hear Liz. Uh, Nick cannot. And normally when we have the other co-hosts, they cannot either. But, uh, well, that's ideal since she spends most of her time insulting me. So uh, that is true. <laughs> that's not get true, easily actually. offended. No, she, she spends <laughs> most of her time insulting me. Um, but, uh, well, who can blame her? <laughs> well, no one, no one can blame her. Anyway, so uh, that's why um, you're you're hearing Liz and um, Nick is acting like he cannot, and that's because he cannot, <laughs> unless he is listening to the audio only podcast in the future. I don't know, which I do listen to, just in case Liz says something rude. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah, you you might mm -hmm. have to keep that in mind too, Liz. All right, I'll keep it in mind, but ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> Andy says, hi, y'all. Happy to see the skies filling back up. Curious about hotels. 
First, which brand seems to be your favorite? And which hotels have special benefits or accommodations for pilots? How did the hotels take care of you during this pandemic? Have you treated hotels any different since the beginning of COVID? Also, Liz, do or did you have a career in producing? You are a yeah. pro at keeping these pilots on ship-shape schedule. <laughs> Watch Sincerely. how you pronounce that. Yeah, uh, Andy. Yeah, I think I, I, I did that right. Ship-shape You did. Schedule. No, you were perfect. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Um, hotels. Brands. Um, I think, you know, most of the hotels we stay, the, we, uh, we're contracted, um, Acme contracts, every layover city, um, at least one or two locations. Uh, some city uh, destinations have um, layover spots, have a shorter layover duration hotel, which is usually right near the airport or in some cases actually in the airport. Uh, and then if you're, well, the pilots uh, are contracts as anything more than 12 hours, uh, we go to the long layover, uh, location, uh, which is generally speaking somewhere in the downtown area of the city or one of the, you know, places near the city center, that kind of thing. Near the action. Near where all the action is. Yeah. Um, and we, they uh, do a really great job at Acme finding really, really good properties. And, um, and they're the typical ones that you're used to hearing here in the U.S. Marriott, um, Hilton, Hyatt. Uh, and the ones near the airports are usually ones like uh, Hyatt Place and, and uh, Hilton Garden Inn and that sort of thing. Uh, Sheraton's another uh, property. You were in a nice hotel last night, um, I was in a very nice hotel, yes, last night, Liz is reminding me, in Charleston. And we'd only been there for two weeks. I asked the, uh, the front desk person uh, before we left this morning, I said, how long have we been staying here? Uh, because we had been staying at a different location for, for quite some time. And he said, just two weeks. And I said, how long do you think we're going to be here? And he goes, well, you're, well, you're contracted for at least a year or two. And I said, yeah, but how long do you really think we're going to be here? <laughs> said, I'm sure we're going to wear out our welcome. It's a very, very nice property. Very, very swanky. Uh, right there in the heart of uh, the uh, the downtown or whatever that area is called, the, the tourist Meeting area Street. of Charleston um, on Meeting Street and uh, just south of or north of Broad. Or is it south of Broad? Yeah. Anyway, I don't remember. Anyway, it's on Meeting Street. Uh, very close to the market. And uh, yeah, so that was nice. But John Jester's had a, had a different experience at hotels. Oh, does he? Uh, John says they treated us like we had the plague at many hotels. <laughs> oh, I guess he's, let's see, he's talking about probably during the pandemic. Is that what he's referring to? Yeah, I to? think so. Okay. Yeah, I think he's. Well, let me tell you, when we first, and I've been, when, when the whole pandemic thing started, you know, like what, mid-March? of last year, uh, I was flying all the way through the end of May. And then I had to stop flying because they retired my airplane, no airplane to fly. Um, and initially it was really, really interesting or odd, eerie almost where you, the only people staying at these hotels were airline crew basically. Uh, and most of these hotels, um, you know, the, all the 
you know, the, the bars, restaurants, all, all that was shut down. And they usually had some kind of an accommodation for us as far as, you know, finding some food or, you know, somebody would be back in the kitchen and would uh, fix some stuff and, and then put it on a table out in front. And, you know, you had to call down and not and room service, I guess, was probably still active at the time as well. Anyway, they made some accommodations for us to, you know, make sure that we were fit. But I did stay at um, one or two hotels where it was, the hotel wasn't near anything and they didn't have any, the only thing they had was like the, the snacks that they have kind of behind the front desk. Um, that was a little disappointing, but yeah, it was a different time. And, uh, but anyway, going back to my favorite brand, I, I think I would say if I had, if I were pressed to just name one hotel brand, it would be Hilton. And that's because I just love the beds that I don't know what kind of bed it is, but it's just so comfortable. I always get a really, really nice. good night's sleep in the, uh, the Hilton beds. Um, and all the hotels like the Marriott's and Hyatt's and everything else have pretty upscale kind of mattresses and, and they all are very, very comfortable. They, they do a good now, job. Lane's that. giving you some advice on how not to get booted out of that nice hotel. Okay. Uh, Lane Street in the chat room says, pantless pilots wearing out their welcome. Yes, that is a very, very quick way to wear out your welcome in a hotel by prancing around without your pants or trousers. And uh, so far, I've been very good about that. I have not done that. I just <laughs> prance around without my trousers uh, in front of my window. But then I've been told that that's a no-no as well. So Remember that to, guy in the union? Yeah, I know. That got, it was yeah. in Den at the Denver Airport Hotel, I think, uh, a United <laughs> pilot was doing that. And uh, I think they arrested him. <laughs> I bet you Nick stayed in some interesting yeah. hotels. Yeah, yeah Nick, um, I was supposed that you have stayed in some interesting hotel properties. Oh, most certainly. Our, our company used to uh, treat us pretty well when it came to hotels. Uh, we didn't really stick to a brand. We shifted around every few years, uh, but the usual major hotel chains were there. But quite often they'd find a really nice independent hotel uh, that we stuck with for a, a long time. Um, the Santon Sun was always very nice in Johannesburg. Um, uh, the Colonnade in uh, Cape Town and um, Park Lane in uh, Hong Kong. Um, we did shift around quite a lot in Hong Kong. But um, the, the hotels that I always appreciated were the ones that made a special effort and uh, the Indian hotels and um, the Chinese as well would often open up their um, club level to the pilots and we get up there for free drinks in the evenings and uh, free nice. breakfast uh, and then coffee and snacks throughout the day and that cost us nothing which was always wow. very welcome used to like that and uh, they uh, some hotels had a, a proper crew room for all the airlines that they catered for uh, the one in Delhi rings a bell uh, they had they called it just a members room so if you had a member you could go in there um Ooh. oh I'm um <laughs> they used to let the ladies in too uh and um it was it would had a lovely coffee machine in there that you know ran 24 and uh fridges and things and that you'd allowed to get cheap uh um 
ordered order in from uh, the hotel kitchens uh, at, at, at a special rate in there, mm-hmm. uh, which meant a lot of crews went in there and had some great parties in there. That was always very nice. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, we, we were really good ones. The dreadful ones, we always had problems in New York because uh, they're very expensive. Um, they, I think the Helmsley rings a bell, mm-hmm. Helmsley. Yes. That was Leona one Helms. of the better ones we were in. And then we were in the uh, Radisson Blue uh, down near a little park, uh, not far from Macy's, um, that uh, was always uh, quite good, uh, quite like that. But uh, there was, strangely, there was the Car Park Hotel on Long Island, uh, which we were on. We, we were in that hotel for nigh on 20 years. It was a Sheraton. And it was out near some ice skating rink in the middle of Uniondale. And uh, the hotel was stuck in the middle of a vast concrete car park. And that's all that was there. It was just this this damn hotel sitting there. And uh, there was nothing to do. You know, you had to walk. It was surrounded by freeways. You couldn't really go anywhere. About the it only had great inter- was- internet, I remember. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Yeah, every time that you were scheduled to be in that hotel room, I don't think we're going to be able to have Nick. Yeah, it's not going to work, is it? The only good thing about there was eventually. I mean, we were there for so long that uh, they built the um, oh, what the the it was an aviation museum. I'm trying to think of the name of it now. Uh, It was like the birthplace of aviation. It was an aviation museum aimed at Long Island. Uh, and um, it was around the area of Roosevelt Field where, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, your famous solo transatlantic pilot, uh, Limburg. The, the got spirit of St. Louis. Or Roosevelt. Um, I think and, he was a great famous pilot too. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought he was a president. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, Cute president. That, that joke. Yeah, so you could walk to uh, the Cradle of Aviation. That's what it was called. Ah. You could walk there and have a look around. It wasn't a big museum. It was a little, little special museum, but it has some great exhibits, in, including uh, a, one of the moon landers that they didn't actually send to the moon. It was it was one that was built to go to the moon or, you know, an, an exact built by Grumman, and it was just sitting mm-hmm. there. It was very good. Anyway, nice. um, yeah, some some good ones and some awful ones, but uh, there you go. We they all had a little, little bit of character, and we the nice thing was that we were going often to these hotels for so long. You actually got to know the staff, and they got to know you. So it was like a little homecoming. There was a little chap called Chet who used to serve uh, in the breakfast area of uh, the Sheraton in on Long Island, and uh, he. He burst into tears when he heard that we were finally leaving the hotel. It was oh, no. just so touching. It was brilliant. Your hotel family. Yeah. Well, you know. Yes, we were at that I'm, time. I'm glad yes. you mentioned that because I, I, that's another accommodation that has nothing to do with the pandemic. Um, many of the hotels we stay in, um, usually, or almost all of them, give you some kind of a discount for ordering food in their restaurants or even room service. And it's usually, you know, sometimes only 10%, 25%. Some places will give you 50% often. And okay. usually those are the places that is so expensive that you would never order anything from the restaurant or room service anyway, because <laughs> you can't afford it. But, you know, taking the 50% off, you go, oh, okay, well, that's not too unreasonable. I can probably, you know, order something off the menu. Um, 
And uh, we had a place in um, in Fort Walton, I think it was Fort Walton Beach, uh, a Holiday Inn Resort Hotel right on the water. And when we first started um, staying there, they were giving us 75% off food what? and beverages, including alcoholic oh, beverages. Oh, wow. That became wow, that's, a, that's like the number one layover off. spot for many people. Yeah, that would be. And I think party time. They yeah they kind of uh, they adjusted that a little bit I think because the, uh, the hotel was going into bankruptcy because of the <laughs> airline crews. Man, um, you drank. <laughs> we drank a hundred. Um, they went, but it's still pretty good. I think it's still fifty percent off food and beverages, including alcoholic beverages. But that's very unusual. Um, that and usually they'll say. Uh, 50% off or 25% off food ordered in the restaurant room service and, and, uh, but it does not apply to alcoholic beverages. So, oh, well, um, well, and the other there thing, was one hotel that uh, we had a crew room there. And every time you, uh, you came in, if you went to the crew, you could pick up the phone and say, we're the flight 10, we've just landed. And they say, okay, it'll be up soon. And they would send up slabs of beer wow. to our crew room. And, you know, uh, when you drank all that, you'd just pick up the phone again and go, we're the, we're the 25. We've just got, <laughs> and we'd drink, we'd drink their beer as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny until you're the actual flight 25. Yeah, if crew. you're the last flight in, <laughs> last flight of the day, there was just nothing left. And, yeah, come on, we, we've uh, sent three slabs of beer up for your flight. Get off. <laughs> <laughs> um, crew rooms are something that I think are disappearing somewhat in most of our domestic um, layover hotels. I think there's still a few out there, um, but they're now just basically a place where they have a big screen TV and maybe a coffee maker. They might have a little refrigerator with some bottled water in it. You know, not a lot of stuff there for for the crews. Again, this is domestic flying, not international. Um, and uh, one last thing I was going to say that I cannot remember. Oh, well, it wasn't important. So, Plain tail time. All right. Uh, your, your worst crew room story? Pardon? Your worst crew room story? Because we nearly got room. thrown out of the hotel in Johannesburg when someone set light to a sofa and tossed it out a window. Who was oh, that boy. person, Nick? <laughs> Wait, it wasn't me. Oh, was it? Uh, I can assure you. No, absolutely not. Uh, uh, and then uh, a hmm. couple of our girls got into a cat fight in the bar. Uh, that was apparently quite amusing. I, I went, it wasn't one of my crew, but the uh, hotel used to once a month have a cocktail party for the airlines that happened to be in the hotel that day. Uh, so free cocktails and finger food. You know, it was very nice. I was chatting to the general manager at the hotel, and it was quite recent that these events had occurred. And I was trying to think of something to say to him. So I just said, well, yeah, by the way, I hear we've had a couple of problems, you know, setting fire to things and and uh, the girls having a fight in the bar. And he said, oh, yeah, these these things happen. This was the general manager of the hotel. <laughs> happens and all he the said, time. The, the, my, yeah, exactly right. My big regret is I didn't get to see the cat fight. I said, oh, why is that? He said, oh, my staff told me that um, the girls weren't wearing any underwear. Oh, my. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was, must have been some cat fight. Yeah. Know. 
Wow. Are those flight attendants without pants? (laughs) (laughs) Flight attendants without pants. (laughs) New Uh, show time. There you go. Um, I'm trying to remember the hotel in um, South Beach that we used to stay in, um, Miami, um, but, you know, the South Beach on the other side of the intercoastal. um, And it was the most unusual hotel I've ever experienced. And I guess it was one of those things where they didn't say anything about it, just assumed that everybody understood what was happening here at this hotel. And it was a hotel that only had airline crews staying at it. Um, oh, really? The, the something Shelly, the smelly Shelly. No, that can't be right. <laughs> Somebody help me out in the in the chat room. Maybe they know what I'm talking about. There's a famous um, hotel and I really miss it because they had um, vending machines with like beers for a dollar um, out near the pool. Um, they had this, um, all kind of, everything, almost every, you know, you, you turn around, there was something for free food all over the place, uh, for free. And, um, but the, the oddest, it was just, it, the rooms were not modernized or renovated. They were kind of old and, um, uh, the TVs were like the old, you know, old fashioned TVs, big heavy ones. Yeah. The big heavy you know, CRT kind oh, of, right, you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I still, at that point I still wasn't grasping that this was not a normal hotel. Um, but it looked like it in the lobby and you know, it looked like a regular hotel, except that you didn't see like any normal people. They were all airline crews. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was like right on the water too. Uh, I can't remember the darn name of that thing, but unfortunately, um, for some reason we, they, we got moved from that, that property, but airline crews would come in, you know, like from, uh, a lot of, uh, international crews would come in and they'd, they'd come in like, um, 20, 25, 30, uh, flight attendants. And I don't know how many pilots, you know, they had, I don't know how many vans to get them all transported from Miami international over to the, the hotel. And just amazing. You know, these must have been 747 crews or something, or maybe A340, 600 crews or something. But um, it was just kind of a neat experience being uh, in that hotel. I guess nobody's helping me out here with the nope. name of the hotel. Yeah, I'll do my best to uh, try to remember, uh, do some research during the plane tale. Oh, speaking of the plane tale, guess mm-hmm. what? This would be a perfect time for us to... Do the best part of the show. This week's installment of the Old Pilots Plane Tales. And it's another episode. And, you know, Nick always, you know, deprecates or downplays downplays these installments of uh, the RAF Form 414 volume, whatever. And I think they're some of my favorite, actually. And I think many of the listeners agree. So this week's installment is RAF Form 414, Volume 10. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales, RAF Form 414, Volume 10. I apologise to you all, but it's time for my tatty old RAF logbook to come out of the cupboard again. It was a sad, sad situation, but for the recently promoted Flight Lieutenant Anderson, his departure from flying the Phantom on 43 Squadron was a reality that he had to face up to. 
For a while, there would be classroom work to endure at the Central Flying School, RAF Leeming, a fair way south, and my wife would be alone in my married quarter at Lucas for several months until I had jumped through enough hoops to move her to my new base. Central Flying School is an august establishment that will proudly inform anyone with an interest, or not, that it is the world's longest existing flying training school. It was, and remains to this day, the RAS Institution for Training Military Flying Instructors. Its tedious history goes back to Upaven Aerodrome, where it was formed in 1912 with Maurice Farmans. Over the long years, days passed very slowly at CFS. They moved along with the times and even developed formation aerobatic teams such as the Sparrows, the Redskins, the Pelicans, the Red Pelicans, the Yellow Jacks, and finally the Red Arrows. The point I'm trying to get across is that, to a course of frontline fast jet pilots, arriving at this anachronistic school with its creaking white-haired, long-in-the-tooth-stuck-in-their-ways instructors to be called students once again was a form of chalk-dust-ridden hell, and it brought out our most rebellious tendencies. The head of ground school, whose name rhymed with the medical term for the smelly end of the alimentary canal, received an unfair proportion of blame for our situation. He and his staff did their best to explain why we should explain things to blogs, the generic name for student pilots, using four colours on the latest technology whiteboards, and in the specially structured form that was the only acceptable technique in Central Flying School. Before long, the rebellion began to take physical form, with the appearance of a grumpy staff instructor's motorbike, carefully balanced on table mats, and with his copy of the telegraph underneath to catch the oil drips, on the long breakfast table in the officer's mess. Such events usually went without the slightest comment as people sat down to their eggs and bacon with a whiff of engine oil on the side. However, when someone found their bed was no longer in their room but had been dissembled and moved up onto the corner of the three-storey building's pitched roof, reassembled and properly made with sheets, blankets and pillows, the boss got a bit annoyed. There it sat, gently swaying in the breeze, sixty feet up in the air, while he read us the riot act. The weekends were a blessed relief from the practice lectures and mass briefings we had to give, as my old ex-Jaguar pilot friend Nige and I got onto our motorbikes and set off to join our respective wives. When we hit the Great Northern Road, he turned south and I headed north. The weather was unseasonably cold, and I well remember those long, freezing rides as I ploughed towards home through rain and sleet, in the sure knowledge that I would receive a warm welcome. The late Sunday return journey was the hard bit. Leaving warm, loving arms so that I could return to purgatory was heart-rending, but as I stumbled off the bike and into the mess, as often or not, I would bump into Nige. 
The first time this happened, he introduced me to a very bad habit by greeting me with a tooth mug full of nectar. Returning from his tour in Germany, the land of milk, honey and duty-free booze, Nige had bought a large supply of Remy Martin VSOP fine champagne cognac with him, which he generously shared in an attempt to get the blood flowing through our cramped limbs again. I'm not sure what got us through those months, but dipping regularly into those dark green bottles certainly helped. Finally, suitably inculcated with CFS propaganda, we were released and set off to RAF Valley on the remote Welsh island of Anglesey. Its name is thought to derive from Old Norse and was the term used by Viking raiders of the 10th century. Long associated with the Druids, the Roman general Julius Agricola was finally responsible for occupying the place. In medieval times, it was often considered independent from other kingdoms, but eventually the renowned engineer Robert Stevenson, builder of the world's first railway, knocked up a bridge that joined it to the mainland in 1850. By 1940, there was an airfield there that was the home of a couple of hurricane squadrons tasked with defending the industrial northwest and the Irish Sea. By 1943, the base had become a stop-off point for United States aircraft heading to Europe. On one day alone, 99 Boeing B-17s and Liberators were ferried in from Iceland. It was now home to number four flying training school, but before we could start working with real students, we had to go through CFS Hawk, the detachment of instructor instructors who would teach us how to teach in the air. Our steed was the BAE Systems Hawk T1 that was being introduced to the RAF when I went through Valley as a student five years earlier. To be fair to our new CFS masters, they weren't quite as geriatric as those we had encountered at CFS headquarters. There were a smattering of ex-fastjet guys, but most were career instructors or from other roles. The RAF had purchased a total of 175 Hawk T1s, so there were plenty of airframes kicking around. What's more, unlike the broken old trainers they were replacing, it was an amazingly reliable aircraft. For both student and instructor, the Hawk was a great design, as has been proved by its longevity and worldwide sales to many major air forces. It's a simple trainer, just about viceless. Something that a few would criticise, but would become an ideal stepping stone into aircraft such as the Tornado and Typhoon. Whilst it was easy to fly, it certainly didn't cater to the lowest common denominator and tested every pilot who flew it, without putting them into unnecessary danger. The front had a few more whistles and bells than the back, but there was little that the student in the front seat could do that couldn't be fixed by the instructor in the back. The instructor's seat was stepped up so that they had a clear view ahead over the top of the student's helmet and down both sides, something that had been missing from a lot of previous trainers. The aircraft had moderately swept low-mounted cantilever wings and the fuselage sported a pair of cheek air intakes level with the rear cockpit that fed the single Rolls-Royce Turbomeca Adur engine, an engine that had great fuel efficiency. 
The Hawk was supposed to reach Mach 1.15 in a dive, but I never got it much past Mach 1 myself, but it could crack on at low level doing 540 knots very happily. In the cruise, it was okay up to about Mach 0.84. It was a great aerobatic aircraft, and although the airframe could handle plus 9 and minus 4G, it was limited by the RAF to plus 7.5 and minus 3. A dual hydraulic system powered the flight controls, gear, flaps, brakes and air brakes, but should the engine fail, a propeller-driven rat would pop out and keep everything working. It also had a built-in auxiliary power unit to motor the engine for starting. Although later versions would have weapons, a weapons sight and glass cockpit, the early T1s sported a fairly basic instrument panel. Someone had tried to save money by fitting an existing attitude indicator and compass system that was normally found in the RAS Puma helicopters. Sadly, nobody thought to check out how this would perform at high G, or if they did, they didn't care, as the system would topple appallingly. This then required a period of straight and level and unaccelerated flight before the instruments could be relied upon again. Hardly ideal if an aerobatic manoeuvre ended up in cloud, or if a bit of hard turning through a valley system then required a pull-up when the weather came down. It took us a while, but eventually a decent attitude-heading reference system was retrofitted, but not before many of us had experienced a few dodgy moments. Learning how to be a qualified flying instructor was very much monkey-see, monkey-do. The CFS bod in the front would give an example of how something should be taught, and the poor unfortunate student instructor in the back would get to demonstrate their best efforts. These were termed a give and a give back. On some exercises, we would get the chance to fly around with another student instructor, called a mutual, and practice on each other. Or, more likely, we'd hurtle around the countryside for a while, and then try to pull the wings off. All the formal lessons involved, you've got it, watching a brief in four colours on a whiteboard, and when we'd seen enough of a particular lesson, we'd have to give it back to a more senior CFS board, and then hopefully that box was ticked and we'd move on to something else. From memory, there were only around 13 basic lessons, but a lot of training was made up from elements of those. However, once they were mastered, the rest was just proving one was up to speed. The flying training done at Valley was really a matter of taking real students through things that they had learnt during basic flying training, but with more speed and more accuracy. There were circuits and practice force landings, formation flying, aerobatics, stalls and spins, high-level handling, but most of the course was spent at low level. Navigation was achieved with map, compass and stopwatch, initially at 360 knots and then 420, often with a portion at 480 knots. Flying with an instructor meant doing this at 250 feet above the ground. Navigation sorties started in the local low-flying area of Wales, but later ones involved a high-level flight to Scotland, a low-level portion followed by a high-level return. This was where the Hawk came into its own. When the fuel came down and it was time to pull up and head for home, once we got that lovely little aircraft up to 30,000 feet or so, the fuel gauge seemed to stop moving. 
it seemed quite happy running on fumes. We hadn't been going very long on our CFS course, about 11 days to be exact, when we heard about RAF Wadisham's NATO tactical fighter meet. At random times of the year, various fighter bases would open their doors to one of these events, which, to the uneducated, was obviously an opportunity for units within NATO to come together and exchange important military tactics, foster a greater understanding of different modus operandi, and share our mutual respect for fellow fighter squadrons from the diverse nations in Europe. In reality, it meant get permission to bring your fighter to Wadisham and spend the night drinking copious amounts of adult beverages until everyone spoke like a pair of Dutch F-16 pilots. A few of us managed to get permission to take two of our Raspberry Ripples, named after the colour scheme of the training aircraft at the time, which resembled a tub of red and white ice cream. So, on Friday, three ex-Phantom pilots and a Jaguar pilot set off to enjoy talking tactics with our fighter pilot brethren. After parking our embarrassingly painted toy aircraft so that nobody could see them, we joined the throng of testosterone-driven fighter pilots, and indeed we drank until we were fluent in Dutch. Indeed we were so good we spoke double Dutch. At one point, I recall a Jaguar pilot trying to set his backside alight by jumping a huge bonfire, and a Phantom pilot cutting the ropes of a marquee so that it collapsed onto at least 100 drunken fighter pilots and one young lady who had been paid to stand on a table and entertain them. The resulting melee was a joy to watch. When everything had been drunk, we retired to bed with the horrible thought that the next morning, a Saturday, we had to return our hawks back to Valley. After a full English breakfast to settle the stomach, we clambered into our flying gear and set off home. I was with another fine student QFI, whom I shall call Dave Richardson, since he's now an important local politician. We were supposed to be practising exercise C-14 medium level handling on a mutual, and it was my turn to give back. We got to the Welsh training area, but our hearts weren't really in it, so we decided to head for home. Dave was nominally the captain in the front, so when RAF Valley Air Traffic asked for a favour, it was down to him. The air cadets at Clandidno had a stall on the pier to recruit new members, and could we do a fly-past? Well, after only 12 days at Valley, we weren't really sure where the pier was, but Dave jumped at the chance to show off a bit, and ATC agreed to point us at the location. He took us out to sea, and then swung us around the Great Orm's Head, a sticky outbit on the north coast, and Bob's your uncle, there it was. Dave wound the jet up to Max Chat and settled it down onto the waves. I wasn't sure how the cadets would see us, being below the pier and all, but hey-ho. As we rattled past, we assumed we looked suitably impressive, and Dave cracked on some bank to see the faces of the public. But I was looking out of the front, 
and realised that at this speed and rate of turn, we were going to blast right over the town at zero feet. I think perhaps the night's revelry was affecting Dave, so I shouted, Pull, you twerp! Pull! Dave promptly heaved the stick into his guts. The hawk spun round on a sixpence, and we got an impressive score on the G-meter. It almost dinged like a fairground strength tester. We limped the brand new and now slightly bent X-ray X-ray 295 back to valley. And after a low-speed handling check to make sure the flaps worked, we plonked it down. A couple of cases of beer later, and the engineering flight sergeant kindly did the overstress checks required, but then lost the paperwork, so nobody was any the wiser. However, I note that X-Ray X-Ray 295 is actually still flying, so best treat it gently, chaps. I also note that Aiken's Airplane Store of Needs, Tennessee will sell you a 1 to 72 scale Corgi diecast model of this exact aircraft for only $69.95. Although, to be completely accurate, you might want to bend the wings up a bit. Are you sure it still has wings on it? Well, it had, <laughs> yes, it's quite old now. Uh, it was very new at the time, but uh, uh, the engineers didn't seem the least bit worried. We were terrified, um, but they seemed to think that the airplane was pretty indestructible. So uh, we got got away with that, or oh, DL did anyway. The last episode we mentioned the um, uh, the ejection of um a hawk and you made some comments about it and now i'm understanding a lot more about why you made those comments it, it's it's becoming much much clearer now um <laughs> i i took two things away from this latest plain tale which was excellent as always um Number one, the amount I, of alcohol consumed. Well, no, I mean, that goes without saying, Liz. The amount of alcohol consumed is always a, a great quantity uh, in any military pilot career. Um, the thing that really um, made an impression on me is the fact that I sense that your time as a uh, flying instructor uh, in, in the RAF was the most memorable and, and, um, you know, just the best part of your military career. Yeah. The, the apex of his career. Yeah, the apex. That's you it. know, uh, we, we, we uh, had to fill out an application form every year uh, to become a flying instructor. It was compulsory. But at the top, there was a box you could tick, and you could either tick volunteer or non-volunteer. And I ticked non-volunteer, as did 99% of all the other pilots, because no one actually wanted to go away from the front line to become, uh, do, you know, do what was incredibly boring work and work in a sausage machine churning out students. Um, and although we had a few uh, rare moments of fun, uh, to be fair, it, it was ultimately a satisfying job, but it, wasn't, uh, it didn't hold a candle up to uh, being on the front line, I'm afraid. Okay, and the other thing 
uh, is that any time that Nigel has anything to do <laughs> with your life experience, it's it's pretty much usually not a very good thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's been around when I've probably been, um, yeah, uh, had some of my <laughs> I think he, worst I think moments. he encourages you to kind of let loose a little bit with your behavior. Well, he would say the opposite, of course, <laughs> because uh, uh, we've actually bumped into each other many, many times. And uh, <laughs> when he was in Hong Kong, uh, you know, I used to come along and I would land off a trip and we'd meet and he'd say, I just got fired or something like that, you know, and I'd go, what? What did uh, you do this was, time? It was like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So I don't think it was down to me. It was definitely down to Nigel. Uh-huh. No, I'm I'm saying that Nigel is definitely uh, not it's a good influence. influence. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's not. No. But he's got good taste in cognac. I'll, I'll give him that. Yeah, it sounds like it. And uh, I, you know, Nigel, uh, I know you're listening, and uh, you're. Uh, uh, I'm I'm so proud uh, and honored to uh, be considered a friend of yours, and uh, you're just uh, an amazing person. So great guy. Um, yeah, um, look forward to. After this whole pandemic mess, uh, getting together again and having some good times. Although we'll probably have to have somebody supervise, like Liz or HR <laughs> so, staff, yeah. to make yeah. sure that we adult there. <laughs> yeah, some kind of a responsible adult uh, would be was, a good yeah, idea. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'll uh, I'll share some pictures and some stories of uh, of what it was like to actually um, teach and some of the students that I who went through my caring. <laughs> Instruction. <laughs> oh, I bet they're good uh, on on the next on the next yeah the next one. Okay. Um. Thanks again, Nick. I really enjoy the uh, logbook um, series of the Plain Tales. Well, thanks very much. I um, appreciate it. While I was listening to that awesome Plain Tale, I was also doing some research about the Sherry Frontenac Hotel in not South oh. Beach. It was. North of South Beach, just up the beach, I guess. North Beach. North Beach, I guess you'd call it. And um, anyway, uh, I was looking through some of these uh, reviews on TripAdvisor. And uh, one's, uh, William H. writes, uh, my favorite layover. Now that I'm a retired captain at American Airlines, I sorely miss my favorite layover at the Sherry. To me, it was an exquisite hotel with an incredible staff and facilities. And to be honest, I enjoyed the bar, pool, and beach more than anything else. I know why I enjoyed all that. Uh, but I would arrange my schedule to be at the Sherry at any opportunity. It is now a year and a half after retirement, and I would give anything to be laying over at the Sherry. And then uh, non-airline people say, uh, this hotel <laughs> it wasn't a good review. Uh, this hotel is used by several airline crews. The building is quite old, but okay. The rooms are spacious. Staff's friendly and helpful. Anyway, he goes on and talk. Basically, several of these things said, yeah, just be aware. I guess I thought it was just exclusively airline crew, but I guess uh, it's just uh, a lot of airline crew staying there um, as far as the percentage. You know, normally a lot of the hotels we lay over at, you'll see airline crews and, you know, we make a small percentage of the occupancy of the hotel but uh at this place it was like skewed in the other direction almost everybody was airline crew and then i guess they'd let in a few token you know regular people <laughs> just to kind of i guess balance everything that's brilliant yeah so there we go the sherry fronted act we called it the 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 uh 
the the funny name that we used to describe it though was not called the sherry. It was called the sherry something or other. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right, let's continue on with feedback. Since eleven, that's what we're here for. That's right? what we're here for. Yeah. Um, oh, this might be a question. This is from someone who is too embarrassed to have their name revealed, and really, who could blame them? Um, yeah. This might be a question for Liz. This person says, "I'm trying to find the podcast where you had the fact checkers, Eugene Wanker and Dingus, somebody." can't remember his last name. During the week, I listened to all the previous podcasts of uh, APG, and I heard this one in the middle of my sleep. The funny voices woke me up. It was so hilarious. Now I'm trying to find it again, and I can't. I know it was sometime in the early 200s, as far as episode numbers, in uh, 2016. I want to play this for my husband. I hope Liz can find it. I'll be listening. I love drop-ins, funny voices, sound effects, Paul Harvey, Roadrunner, just all of it. Captain Jack would have been a great radio personality back in the day. Oh, thank you. Um, that's what I'm well, trying to emulate, now, actually. Let alone back in the no. day. <laughs> but I'm not a radio personality. I'm not. Well, you are in the podcast. Ah, uh, well, thank you. Um, a great drop-in might be David Bowie's She Blinded Me With Science. Yeah, I love that. I love that song, actually. Um, science! But, uh, yeah, sadly, I'm trying to get away from a lot of this because of the whole copyright issue thing, so i got to be careful. Um, anyway, uh, Liz did some research, and she says, here are the episodes that the fact checkers appeared on. Uh, episode 212, 214, 218, 220 and 252. I guess only even number ones. No odd ones in there. That's interesting. Um, yeah, that's a bit unusual for them because they were pretty odd. They, they were, were odd. Great. <laughs> Very <laughs> odd. Really, really miss the fact checkers. And uh, okay. uh, and miss Jerry. Uh, although, you know, it wasn't too long ago that no, Jerry. No, he was recent, but those guys yeah. were great. All of them. Yeah, the uh, fact checkers. We really miss uh, the fact checkers. Come on back, fact checkers. We love you. Yeah. Um, Check in, boys. Goodness knows we certainly need somebody to be checking our facts because most of them are not correct. <laughs> well, fifty uh, percent. Yeah, of them are. Now, you know, when we use the term "fact," we're we're being very liberal with the, yeah. the usage of that word. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. A lot, uh, of, lot of leeway there. A lot of leeway. Yeah. Uh, Peter writes in. Uh, F111 UK edition, and he sends us a link to a YouTube video uh, entitled F111 Low Pass Evans Head Range, and he said, sorry, make that the RAAF edition, so the Royal Australian Air Force, and I, I think I ended up... Uh, Grabbing yes, you just do. a little yep, yep. You've snippet. Got a video. Now, is that in the um, in the videos on yep. the? Uh, okay. Yep. Yes, so sir. why don't you, uh, Liz, go ahead and play that for us? Here we go. <laughs> oh yes. Now, if you're listening to the audio only, <laughs> you're just hearing um, the sound of very low-flying jets um, and some spectators in the background at the uh, 
at the Evans Head Range. Uh, I'm not sure where exactly that is in Australia. Nick probably knows. Um, uh, it's on the East Coast. Um, and <laughs> what's happened there is that the, the hut that you can see there with the big glass windows uh, is the range safety officer's hut. And the RSO, the range safety officer's his job to um, clear the range, may prepare it. Um, he clears each aircraft in for an attack. Uh, so he has, it's like a little control tower, basically. And then he passes the scores. Uh, and um, it was, uh, in Australia, it was a, f a fairly well-practiced um, tradition that after you'd done a, a, a detail of the range, which is a bit like flying circuits, you know, you're, you're doing a continual circuit, but on uh, instead of landing, you're firing a weapon or dropping a bomb or doing some strafe or whatever. At the completion of that, you'd uh, get your formation together and you beat up the RSO's hut. You'd overfly it at low level. Bearing in mind that, you know, you, you're down to, uh, I think, the minimum height for a strafe pass was somewhere in the region 30 feet or 50 feet. You know, you've done some pretty low-level stuff. Um, it, you know, it wasn't too hard then to do a level of pass, uh, except these guys blew the windows <laughs> out of this chap's range. There's much you more see to it. Afterwards, the video yeah, shows all the broken windows. Yeah, the a lot of broken windows. Yeah, worth watching the whole thing. From, uh, yeah. the, uh, well, I don't know if he was entirely supersonic, but even in transonic range, the shockwave can be enough to uh, to blow glass out. I mean, famously, uh, the Aussies had a boat. I think it was. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this wrong. I think the Melbourne was the carrier. There was another. Might have been the Brisbane or something that was a cruiser, and they had uh, an aircraft go past it supersonic when it was closed up for action. You know, with all the bulkhead doors, and the sh the pressure change uh, was sufficient to warp uh, an awful lot of bulkheads so that they couldn't open the bloody doors again. Wow! <laughs> they they, I mean, they literally deformed uh, a lot of the ship, and it was a bit of a nightmare. <laughs> uh, and more embarrassingly, um, uh, at our range, local to our base where the F-18s were, we used to do exactly the same. The 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 RSO's hut was only about like, or like, well, the range was in five, ten miles away. It wasn't very far from the base. And the pilots used to go and have to be the range safety officer. So when our squadron was doing weaponeering, we'd send one of our pilots there. And I, I did many a duty there. Uh, and um, at the end of it, of course, you get a beat up. And we got into the habit of chalking in trying to graph pencil on a board a score for each of the pilots and, and score their the quality of their fly past. Anyway, eventually I, I was in the last the dying gasps of my tour with the Aussies and I was actually on detachment out in Malaysia and leaving Malaysia to head home to the United Kingdom when uh, all hell broke loose because uh, somebody had actually gone in an F-18, gone supersonic over the RSO site and completely demolished it. I mean, <laughs> they they broke the concrete that the, the hut was built out of, blew all the windows out. It was a complete and utter mess. And they were so bad, they held an inquiry uh, because the, it was going to cost quite a bit of money to replace. And they found this board. The, the officers conducting the inquiry found this board uh, with all these pilots' nicknames and the scores. And they interviewed every single pilot 
to and, and try to find out what this was all about because what they really wanted you to do was to say oh it was uh it was a score for our fly pass and uh, uh i was down to be interviewed uh although i was in detachment but luckily i escaped the country before <laughs> before, before it happened Wow. So, yes, exactly right. I managed to get away with it. It was all right. Yeah. In the in the video, I didn't hear any boom, uh, no. like a, the shockwave. But as you said, it was darn close to supersonic, probably. And uh, Well, those F-111s had their wings all the way back, and they mm -hmm. were... They were They're going fast. Feet feet. Yeah, they yeah. were going very well. And just judging yes. from the reaction, and I had to very carefully edit the audio in that because there was a lot of uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, flowery what? language. Australian swearing. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that ever happening. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, uh, we encourage you to uh, watch the entire video. It's uh, quite amazing the, the amount of damage that this uh, F-111 did. All right. Um, excellent. Got some feedback from our Big ass fan in Lexington, Kentucky, Greg Peterson, he says, I've gotten a little behind on APG episodes. Tisk, tisk, tisk. A little behind in a big oh, ass? Oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> a little behind and big ass. He doesn't even know he, he, he made that play on words. Uh, the family went on spring break last week, and I just can't get my people to recognize quality listening material. So for the 12-hour drive, I was relegated to listening to current pop music and 80s hits. Okay, the 80s hits aren't so bad. And now I'm starting to catch up on episodes. I agree that the story about the Qantas pilot suing the airline for PTSD because of an engine failure is absolutely ludicrous. And if that's going to give her PTSD, then perhaps she's in the wrong field. But I did have a thought about her reaction, despite this being a very common training item in the simulator. Do you think that her reaction to the actual event was different than in the sim because in the sim if she doesn't resolve the situation properly all she does is fail her certification reset the sim and try again but in real life if she doesn't resolve the situation properly something more catastrophic could occur and that had a different effect on her i'm certainly not saying that uh, is the way she would regard her training and it still doesn't justify her reaction but just a thought Blue skies, favorable, favorable winds. Good day, your big ass fan, Greg Peterson. Yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable um, possibility. Possibility. Yeah. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, I think it's an, absolutely. Uh, it, it's a genuine possibility. Um, I know from personal experience that um, after you've been through uh, a difficult. Uh, I'm going to quote a story I've told before, uh, landing uh, 340 in a, a very bad crosswind in Shanghai. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, once we got the airplane on the ground uh, and started trying to relax, I, you know, I really relived that and felt really quite, you know, that was very close to the edge. That was an incident that could have gone badly wrong, but it didn't. So that was brilliant. Uh, but uh, I, I had a reaction to it, uh, and you know, I, I had a few whiskers with my old man, and we talked it over, and you know, it felt better. Yeah. But um, I can understand how if you've had an emergency, even if it's one you've trained for, when it happens for real, 
you have that bodily reaction that you wouldn't necessarily generate in the sim. Uh, what one would hope that during the emergency, this is the whole point of practicing them so much, that you, uh, and it's so often quoted, I fell back on my training and did everything automatically. You know, it just came to me and I just did exactly as I had been trained. And that's the whole idea. Mm -hmm. So you, you behave like a complete professional while the incident is going on. But once you're safely on the ground, that's often when the reaction occurs. That's often when you suddenly find your hands trembling or you're a bit short of breath or something, you know, you feel a reaction to the drama. It's the come down perhaps from the adrenaline or something like that. And I can understand that in some people uh, that may linger a long time, uh, longer than others, uh, right. and it may become debilitating. I don't know what you think, Jeff. I agree. And um, yeah, I guess people can maybe if if you're listening to the show, you're not a pilot, if you've ever been driving your car and you're in an accident or, or close to getting into one um, and how while it's happening, that adrenaline is kicking in and you're not really feeling much. Uh, and then after the fact, maybe maybe a few minutes later, maybe an hour later, all of a sudden you're shaking uncontrollably because it was such a traumatic um, experience. And yeah, I can definitely post-traumatic. Post yeah, post after trauma, post-traumatic. How about that? Um, yeah. The other thing that um, we didn't really talk about or consider, but one of our keen listeners did. He sent us from um, some audio feedback. Uh, regarding the same uh, the same uh, news item, and this uh, gentleman's name is T Kettle, or he calls himself T Kettle Fifteen. And let's listen to what he sent. He used SpeakPipe to send us some audio feedback. You can too, if you'd like, and you can find out uh, information about SpeakPipe by going to the contact us page on the website. But uh, let's take a listen to this. Hello, APG crew and APG fans and community. This is T Kettle 15 calling with some feedback on APG 465 and the segment about the first officer suing Qantas following some uh, PTSD associated with an engine failure. I'm not a lawyer, and uh, I would agree with you that the uh, lawsuit seems frivolous to me, but I did uh, find it interesting that there was no discussion during uh, during the uh, APG 65 concerning a critical incident response program or SERP, sometimes called critical incident response team CERT. Uh, I'm not sure. I assume Delta has such a program. Basically, uh, let me give you a brief thumbnail of what the SERP is about. Um, it is a program that's basically designed to help people get over um, things that they've seen associated with aviation. Might be an incident, might be an accident, might be uh, something that happened to them, or maybe they were in an accident investigation and saw some things. Really, the use is quite wide. It's a peer-to-peer -peer program. It's not mental health counseling, but it is something that really helps in mental health. I won't spend any more of your time describing it, but if you Google SERP, you'll see quite a bit of information on it. And 
And it's uh, it's not a legal process. It's not a safety investigation. It's basically just designed to help people that have had experiences like this. And I wonder if this first officer isn't basically calling for help and there isn't any help. Uh, I'm an old school guy, almost as old as Captain Jeff and Captain Nick. I'm in my 60s. And so, uh, like you, I'm kind of look at this sideways and think, uh, oh, you know, man up kind of thing. But uh, I have been trained in SERP. I have seen SERP work in many situations, and it's extremely beneficial. And the bottom line is that it helps people continue to be able to do their job. That's a win for the person. That's a win for the uh, operation that they're associated with. And so, um, you might uh, consider uh, talking about it, maybe learning a little bit more if you if you don't know about it. And I'd be happy to, to fill in any blanks that you have. But uh, thanks for the opportunity uh, to provide feedback and uh, fair winds, following seas, tail tailwinds, and all that. Thank you. Sounds to me like this is a ex or former military like navy pilot or marine corps well seasoned pilot, pilot. <laughs> uh, and, i would hate and to guess pilot. and get it wrong but i love the call sign tea kettle yeah and i love the falling seas or i think you said falling seas that just reminded me of an aircraft carrier i'm not sure anyway tea kettle 15 uh thank you very very much for sending in that uh, audio feedback and you make a really good point no uh, that wasn't i guess our initial reaction was like you said just come on man up uh, so to speak like this is what we're trained to do and i guess we're you we use our own um personality and uh and our own personal reaction to you know high stress events as our own personal benchmark. And I guess sometimes it's easy to kind of put that on to everyone, assuming that, well, I reacted this way and I handled it like this and why, I mean, doesn't everybody else? And, uh, you know, that's, we know that we're all individuals and we're going to handle things differently. So, um, and, and mentioning the, um, the SERP or the CERT, um, program, uh, critical or, yeah, critical incident response team. Yes. Um, well, I'm not sure about Delta, but I know at ACME we do have the, the that program as well, and uh, it's a it's a wonderful program to have. It's there for supporting our peers and uh, helping them work through these kind of traumatic events. And uh, uh, maybe the airline for which uh, this first officer was working didn't have that kind of program so yeah that's an excellent point what do you think nick uh yeah i do um i i I don't think our um our bias against this uh uh fo was because they had ptsd it was because they were suing the airline for um their the reason, the cause of their PTSD that had stopped them from working. And I personally went, well, I don't think it's down to the airline. It's, uh, if anything, it's down to the engine manufacturer. Uh, but you can't sue your airline if, it, if they're not at fault. Um, and I, I think we, we generated uh, or displayed a sympathy and certainly mm-hmm. felt it. Yeah, um, for this lady, because you don't want anyone to lose their flying career, least of all because they 
had a uh, an emergency that has brought on um, a significant effect on their ability to carry out their job. Um, I if the airline is to blame, and it's part of Qantas now that. I would be surprised if Qantas, a big airline like Qantas and a responsible airline like Qantas didn't have one of these programs. My outfit did. Uh, and if there had been an incident on an aircraft, uh, we were invariably met by a senior manager who conducted an instant debrief on an empty aircraft. Once the passengers got off crew together, uh, we would talk through it. And if necessary, uh, individuals would be uh, treated by uh, the company's um, health department. Uh, so th that was all in place. Uh, indeed, uh, if we were outstationed and there wasn't a senior manager, the captain had a responsibility to conduct one of these uh, debriefs and talk through the incident and explain exactly what happened. Something that was sadly lacking in a feedback we... <laughs> Well, an incident we discussed a few shows ago. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact incident now. But um, uh, no, I, I agree 100% that uh, you've got to look after your employees. Uh, I just don't happen to think that taking your company to court uh, is the way to do it. Uh, having said that, I'm a bit upset that their company, this lady's company, um, didn't look after her better. Um, but, but we haven't had their side of the story, have we? I, no, we haven't. And I think that she was flying with an affiliated company, like a you know, like a connection carrier, uh, regional airline, to uh, use the 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 scheme that we have here in the U.S. Um, and perhaps they didn't have one of these kind of programs in place. I'm not I'm not sure. But you're right. We we did have sympathy for. Uh, her reaction to this traumatic event, and uh, we were just kind of expressing our our gall or our you know surprise or dismay <laughs> that uh, she was uh, suing uh, the parent company uh, for a lack of a program or or support for this thing. So, um, but I think these are all good points, and um, we do. That's one of the great things about the show and this community is that people listen to us and talk about things and say, yeah, but they didn't mention, you know, so Tea Kettle 15 took the time, effort to uh, send us that audio feedback. And I do appreciate that. And, and uh, uh, that there are so many things out there in our uh, world, uh, career, uh, aviation career that are available to us uh, that um, most of the time, fortunately, we don't have to take advantage of or use. Uh, but um, I'm just I'm glad they're out there to uh, to help people through whatever it is in their lives uh, they're they're struggling with. Yeah, and, and I personally am not going to take myself off the hook for having the opinion that I thought, uh, just as T Kettle has described. I thought, what on earth is uh, a trained pilot doing uh, suing that company for? something an, an emergency that occurred uh and i'm going well you know that that's the job we're in we're, we're there yeah. to look after the airplane in case of emergency anyone can fly a damned airplane yeah. but a good pilot is the one that can handle it in the event of a serious emergency and an engine failure is a serious emergency i don't think i personally displayed enough sympathy for 
the situation. Uh, because uh, I suspect, you know, I, I'm thinking with my body going agent failure, so what? You know, mm -hmm. we, we've I've dealt with them. People have dealt with them all day, every day. Some people have done fantastic jobs. Not everyone is armed uh, with the right uh, psyche to do that. Right. And a lot of it also has to, not only your individual psyche, but also your experience. And, you know, Nick and I both had a lot of military experience. Nick, much more than I. Um, but, uh, you know, and then going into the airline world, um, I don't know. It's, I think it's like a combination of all these things, your psyche, your, uh, your, your experience, um, et cetera. Um, all, all good points, really good points. So, um, yeah, I'm not taking us off the hook for not mentioning this kind of program. Thank you for bringing that point up, uh, T kettle 15, but I think also, you know, still, you know, trying to sue a company for something that it seems like they had nothing to do with as far as the actual cause of the engine failure, um, is yeah, it's hard to swallow, I'd say. All right. Um, one to go. Yeah. This is perfect. Well done, like you five guys. minutes stewarded. This is uh, perfect. You guys are doing it. Yeah. The producer director is just amazing. Amazing. How does she do this? Puppeteer. She's going to have to find strings. an entire show next week. Exactly. I'm getting nervous over. already. Come on, then. Let's crack it on. <laughs> All right. Our last one from Tony. This is interesting. Um, I always thought. This is Tony speaking. I always thought that all Airbuses from the A320 onwards were fully fly-by-wire. This uh, article that he linked us to from Flight Global suggests otherwise. And I wonder if the crew could comment on why they left a mechanical connection just for the rudder. Interesting. Or interesting? He puts in question mark. Love the podcast. Please keep up the good work. Tony Smith. And then the article is from, uh, as I mentioned, Flight Global. Uh, Airbus switching A320neo family from mechanical to electronic rudder control. Airbus is aiming to replace the mechanical rudder controls on A320neo family aircraft switching to full electric rudder system by early 2024. The modification will coincide with the entry into service of the long-range A321XLR Hey, we have XLR cables for our microphones, um, which is being developed with the e-rudder architecture in mind. Whilst the initial delivery had been intended at the end of the year, it, it said while, and I said whilst, because it's a, Flight Global is a uh, um, British <laughs> outfit. It's a um, nicer word. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking, why did I do that? That's not it's not even written that way. <laughs> anyway, uh, you, you Brits are rubbing off on me, and and I'm not going to make oh, any no. comment regarding that statement I just made. Uh, while the initial delivery had been intended at the end of this year, with an A320neo powered by CFM International Leap 1A engines, Airbus says it is quote reviewing the introduction scenario, given the disruption from the pandemic. The E rudder will become standard on the A319neo, A320neo, and 321neo range, but it will not be fitted to conventional A320 family jets, nor will it be available as a retrofit. Under the current A320 and A320neo fly-by-wire architecture, seven computers, two flight augmentation computers, two elevator aileron computers, 
and three spoiler elevator computers handle the flight control surfaces. But although the flight augmentation computers provide input for yaw damping, rudder travel limit, and trim, the rudder system retains mechanical linkages between the pedals in the cockpit and the hydraulic rudder actuators. Airbus will convert production of the A320neo family jets to feature e-rudder as standard. Um, oh, that was the caption for that little photo there. The e-rudder program will replace the mechanical interface with an electrical one, saving some 40 kilograms in weight by enabling the removal of several fixtures and three computer units. Both flight augmentation computers and one of the spoiler elevator computers will be withdrawn, along with the yaw damper and rudder trim actuators and the travel limiter unit. Conversion to the e-rudder system involves installing a new rudder pedal unit in the cockpit, a new rudder position sensor or new rudder position sensors, and a backup control module. And uh, it will be controlled through oh, two this elevator is like going computers. through computer-based training Airbus again. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. Are you still awake? Um, no. <laughs> okay. So, bottom line, um, I am surprised too. I just don't know. I, I I've never been trained on, never flown an Airbus. Uh, product and I too thought that you know fly by wire. I know that the um, the ailerons and the uh, elevators are controlled fly by wire, but I just assumed that the rudder was too. I didn't realize that was a mechanical um, only. No, it is. It is controlled fly by wire. Oh. The uh, mechanical system for the rudder is a backup. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, if the fly by wire fails, oh. the uh, and uh, that would have to be a complete an utter failure mm -hmm. of the fly-by-wire system. The, uh, when the Airbus was first brought in, uh, every, Airbus were confident that it was all going to be fine and beaut. But, of course, they had to introduce this to a generation of pilots who were perhaps a bit more skeptical. Um, they all said, what happens if it all you know, goes tango uniform? It all mm -hmm. just falls over. Uh, and Airbus said, ah, we have kept an entirely mechanical backup. Uh, this allows you to control the aircraft and keep it flying while you fix the computer problem that has happened. Uh, and it consisted of a mechanical rudder uh, backup, so you could still control the rudder through a set of rods and pulleys and bits of old-fashioned wire like a 747, uh, and you could control the – sorry. <laughs> I just wish the, the brick were here. <laughs> yes, I know. The, uh, the all-movable tailplane, you know, the, the, normally you only move to trim, uh, so you use the trim wheel, but that was also a, a backup system. So the idea is that you, you lose everything, you've got rudders, uh, and you've got – the, the tailplane. So you could pitch the airplane up and down. You could use the rudders to roll it left and right using the secondary effect of uh, yaw. Uh, so uh, that allowed you to keep the airplane flying. In fact, we used to become quite good at it because every now and again they would say, right, you've had 15 failures and all <laughs> the flight controls have stopped. Now you're in mechanical mode and uh, here you go. And you'd you fly it around. You, we could do turns. We could we could do an ILS. Landing was a bit of a nightmare because of all the other things you lost. So it's very hard to actually 
get the airplane onto the ground without bouncing and perhaps lurching off the runway. But we could even do a pretty good job. At that's that. not a problem. Um, but that <laughs> wasn't what it was designed for. It was designed just to be there long enough for you to reset all the flight control computers, kill, kill one of the failures if it can get some form of fly-by-wire back. Um, after a while, uh, because this was really introduced as a stopgap, this is a halfway house between full fly-by-wire, uh, they decided that they could do away with the mechanical linkages and replace them with electrical connections to a backup uh, control unit that had independent uh, resources that controlled the rudder. So if your primary system fell down, you had the completely independent backup system on the rudder uh, that was effectively also fired by wire, but an independent system that you could use to control the rudder. And that's what's happened here. It, when we first got the 340s, we had a mechanical um, backup to our rudders. Uh, when we got the 34600, that had changed to the electrical backup to a rudder backup unit. Uh, and that was the change. And they're making the same change now with the next generation of A320. That's, that's all it is. I'm just out of curiosity, has there ever been a case, an incident, where the mechanical backup system had to be employed to control the airplane? Not or? that I've ever heard of, Jeff. Yeah. Nope. Not that I've ever heard of. The flight control system on the Airbus is notoriously reliable, such that even a single computer failure out of the dozens who you have, uh, they say seven. Uh, I think that's probably about right, although I thought it was an even number. Perhaps it's seven on there. And anyway, um, used to you lose the odd uh, computer, and it was usually temporary and a reset, brought it back again. Uh, but to lose more than that is was incredibly rare. They were so uh, it was the heart of the airplane, and when they devised it and wrote all the software and you know, used the computers, they were very conservative. And um, yeah, geez, those computers were like three eight sixes because they were incredibly reliable. They didn't need anything faster at the time. They've improved them now. But, it's a good thing they were using Windows as well for. Uh... <laughs> oh wait a minute! No, I don't think they did. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Hey, what, what's going on? Sorry. Blue screen of death. <laughs> yeah, uh, hold on a minute. I'm doing an update. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you like to uh, update now? No, no, <laughs> no. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> We're sorry. Yeah. Update will be complete. So, all, all this is is a movement from a a, a solely mechanical to a okay. solely electrical uh, form of backup control for the rudder. I'm glad that Tony uh, read the article and said, hey, wait a minute, what's this going on here? And I'm glad that we have a, an expert to uh, set us straight about this whole thing. I just th think it's interesting. I don't recall in this particular article reading anything about backup. They don't really use that word at all. Not saying that it isn't. I'm just saying if they did, maybe people would be able to understand it a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They haven't, they haven't explained it brilliantly. They did mention the backup electrical system mm -hmm. or the new system. Right, right. But not uh, the mechanical as a, hey, the, by, by the way, the mechanical interface or the mechanical system is a backup system. But maybe they're just assuming that people yeah. are reading this article already know that. 
which would uh, be a I'd bad assumption. Possibly. possibly. <laughs> Mind you, I, yeah. I never th flew the 320. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming it was the same as our early 340s. I would so as well. uh, the, the configuration uh, was, yeah. generally speaking, the same. So I'm assuming it was configured the same. But Well, you know. You never know. Captain we... Al might be on the phone <laughs> any minute now. <laughs> Already sending us feedback. Um, yeah. But... Which reminds yes. me, I've sent him feedback. So, did you hear about him? He being so rude about military pilots on no. uh, uh, on uh, plane safety podcast. Oh, they're terrible! <laughs> well, you know, we always usually get awfully darn close to that fifty percent accuracy. You know, that Absolutely. guarantee we have for you. So, there you go. All right. Well, with that, well done, Captain Nick. Uh, we have made it through just the two of us. And I say just the two of us, just but we all know that <laughs> there are three of us here. One that you don't see on the video and you hear from her every now and then. Our producer, director, Liz. Um, well, yeah, there's, the, um, there's the IPA coming up again. Yeah, sorry. Anyway. You need um, to stop that. I know. I know it probably would stop it if i stopped drinking maybe beer <laughs> yeah. yeah anyway um that's it for today's show we made it through all the news and feedback thank you so much for sending it to us it's very valuable no matter you know what type of feedback you send us we love it and uh we also appreciate your uh financial support as well so again if you're thinking about uh possibly joining the coffee fund cadre or the coffee bar fund uh, plea or coffee bar club, please head over to our website where you'll find information about the coffee fund and, uh, other stuff like more detailed information about the plane tales. Um, we have information about the crew and our community and the community calendar, APG YouTube library, link for the merch. Yeah. The YouTube link for our live, uh, broadcast and so much more. Again, that's airlinepilotguide.com. And we are on social media, and I like to call it the social memes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and we're on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we there go by the handle Airline Pilot Guy, all one word. So that's that. And uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, where we are APG Crew. Um, Instagram is also APG Crew, I note. So Facebook, Airline yep. Pilot Guy, Instagram, and Twitter, APG Crew. Yes, perfect. All right, thank you very much. We're also on it. Slack. Did we miss anything, Liz? Nope, you're okay. doing fine. All right, thank you. Um, let's see. Let's, you know, sometimes on the road here, I'm not ever sure that, uh, oh, wait. So I, do, I do hear this shot. Is there someone in your shower again? Hello? Hello? Slack? Okay. Come on over here. Tell us. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. 
to get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you after the show. Jeff! This is my private time. I, I know. Sorry. We always catch him at the wrong time for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't understand that. He's, like, got hours to prepare. <laughs> no, but he's not paying attention to the show while we're recording it. to it. be fresh. <laughs> anyway, just, you know, give us some slack. Or join slack. <laughs> All right. Um, that's... It. He's so happy. Hillel's getting a bit slack in his old age. Yes, he is. Quite oh, a bit dear. slack. <laughs> so anyway, lots of ways to uh, to participate in the community, and uh, so so happy uh, that you are all out there listening and telling other people about the show and reviewing and all that jazz. So um, again, uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for downloading. And uh, we hope to see you again on a future episode of the show. We'll be back again next week. We hope that you'll be here too. And with that, wishing you clear sky. Oh, no. Look at that. I'm wrapping up the show and I'm forgetting the most important thing. Our producer director is Piper in Toronto. In the control room there. Thank you, Liz, for all of your hard work. I mean... You don't realize we, during the week, you know, we finish the show right now and then you don't hear from us again for another week. We are every day working on the show, you know, doing the post-editing process and publishing and everything else and then getting already, I mean, I, Liz, I would guarantee is probably already putting news items and feedback in the uh appropriate places for our next episode because i know her well, i'm nervous because we're out of feedback Uh-oh, she so said she's nervous because we're out yep. of feedback Ooh. so um she says jeff remind them how to send in feedback it's feedback at airlinepilotguy.com go to our website contact us page there's also uh, information about how you can send us feedback via that address and also via speak pipe with some audio feedback and uh, yeah don't like be nervous you. liz you know it always works out every yeah so thank you Liz for all the hard work and uh, we uh, really strive to make this as entertaining and informative uh, as we can every week and we really appreciate you and we really love you and with that wishing you clear skies unlimited visibility and tailwinds take care and God bless bye everybody yeah he's up in the sky it's the airline pilot Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I 
friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline 